This is going to be the most personal episode we ever do. So if you want an elevator pitch for just this episode, that's what this is. This is why this podcast is... This episode is why this podcast exists and was created to begin with years ago. So buckle up. Hello, it's Tim Bell Pod. I am Nick Alexander, and I am joined, as always, by the most electrifying man in forest entertainment, the stream king, the man scout Jake Maddock. Jesus Christ, if I can do it, you do it again. I was struggling for a third one on like my, my booking infographic for WrestleMania, and I was like, gosh, I, I should tech Nicholas, but I didn't want to give you that power, so... <laughs> And still here on his NBA-style 10-day contract, Tyler Wood. Hey, I'm happy to, happy to be here bothering you guys for another episode. Yeah, he's on one of those weird contracts where you're like, holy shit, Dennis Rodman played for the Mavs? Yeah. <laughs> I want to retire with Tin Bell Pod. I want this to be my, my final podcast contract. Only if you hook up with Madonna. That's your main thing you have to do to stay on here. I'll see what I can do. All right. All right, official Tim Bell Pod Eddie Owen sad warning because today we're going to cover cruiserweight champion TNA star Scream Queen Daphne. So I know Daphne mainly from her work in TNA. That's what I saw uh, a lot of. Uh, she was a pillar of the TNA women's division for what I, I got to watch in my formative years as a teenager watching wrestling. She's a very solid part of it and I don't feel like she really got the due that she deserved for holding up that division during a very interesting time for that company. So we stopped doing Ten Bell Pod for a multitude of different reasons. And when Nicholas came to me about doing this again and suggested like a ten episode run and release it and promote it and do it like just wrapped in that and when I saw that one of the names was Daphne um, I felt compelled to come back and do Ten Bell Pod for this particular episode. This is going to be a struggle, but Daphne is, yeah, I could go on and on about what she meant to the fans and what she did in wrestling, but hopefully with this episode, I will convey to you the type of person she was and how special she was and how amazing and wonderful she was and it's very tough for me to say was so um this this is going to be the most personal episode we ever do so if you want an elevator pitch for just this episode that's what this is this is why this podcast is this episode is why this podcast exists and was created to begin with years ago so buckle up Shannon Sproul was born July 17th, 1975 on the Westwaden-Zamiserforce-Hees in West Germany. One of those Air Force brats that were like always have a unique place of birth and then they just end up in Alabama somewhere recently. <laughs> Randomly, that's always how it works. Like, 
oh, you were born in Oberhausen? Yep, and now I live in Jackson, Mississippi, so... (laughs) (laughs) Clearly born into a military family. Mom, dad, and brother, and Shannon had the military brat lifestyle, making tons of moves, including Utah, Georgia, England, back to Germany, until 87 when her dad retired. Once dad retired, they settled down in Atlanta, Georgia, so middle school, high school, college, all in Georgia. In 1998, she graduated from Georgia State University with a degree in film and video production with a minor in acting and music. And she started doing work behind the camera, like production. She was a teleprompter operator and just, you know, getting work wherever she can to get some experience and a little bit of money. And I got to say, being a teleprompter operator is a fucking skill and a half. That was the thing that terrified me the most about anything in the broadcasting department, which I got my degree in broadcasting. So that was like one of the things that me and Daphne would talk about a lot, like especially very early of like filming promos and put them on YouTube. Like they were, I don't think they're hidden in my YouTube page anymore. I think I might've deleted them away, but I'll go see. If they're somewhere uploaded on YouTube years ago on my original YouTube page, which is still up right now and still is pathetic as far as subscribers go, (laughs) it was like the early concept of the Man Scout character. And I filmed a lot of them over at the house that Daphne and Mason were staying at. And she kind of like, all right, well, this is what we got to do. This is going to like, and she was like psyching me up for it and then like giving me blocking. Like, she almost ended up directing, like, the proto-Man Scout character <laughs> vignettes that were on YouTube. But they were just filmed so poorly. They weren't lit. This is back in tapes. They were just very weird. But, like, the the content was good, mostly because Daphne was involved. <laughs> and between the two of us, we kind of figured it out. And, like, there were times where, it was like, we had to be on camera. But then Mason held the camera, and he's the worst fucking cameraman of all time. So there was there'd always be something. But uh, yeah, she when it came to production and we were filming promos, like she was all over, like, all right, be here, do this, and then like she would direct the whole thing, and she was great. She was she was always fun to to film stuff with and do weird stuff like that. Wait, Caleb Conley Mason or yes, whenever I refer to Mason, I am talking about Caleb Conley. Mason dated Daphne for oh shit, I didn't know that. You did well. I mean, that's how she ends up at high spots. So oh, uh, we will Jesus. probably get into that discussion. But um, I don't think it's I'm, I'm breaking kayfabe or invading Caleb's privacy to say that his real name is Mason Burnett. I'm sure there's a Wikipedia page with him in Impact with a some stupid look on his face with blonde hair <laughs> that says his real name is Mason Burnett. So I don't I don't think we're gonna blow up anybody's spot or give away somebody's privacy rights here on Ten Bell Pod. But yeah, when I refer to Mason, it's going to be like that because a lot of the instances with them, it's him as Mason, not as so much as Caleb Connolly. It's not like saying like, oh, yeah, Daphne and Caleb Connolly. It was always like, you know, Daphne and Mason, Mason and Daphne for probably the first six or eight years that I knew both of them. Shannon would later get a casting agent who started sending her out on auditions. One of those auditions would be with WCW, who was trying to cast the role of David Flair's crazy girlfriend. 
Before we get into that, uh, 1999, she debuted in 1999. Somewhere earlier in that year, she married guitarist Rich Ward, who would later become the lead guitarist of the band Fozzy, who is currently fronted by Chris Jericho. They're okay. <laughs> I wouldn't even go that far. That's uh, <laughs> uh, I sh- like shut your mouth. I like Judas. Stop. stop this! No, stop! <laughs> stop having this conversation, okay? You can't listen. You don't wear a fucking work, okay? Like, <laughs> it's, I'm purposely wearing the logo on my shoulder. I don't Chris, like that Chris type of, of rock the, music. Chris, Chris is one of the nicest people to me there. Yes, okay? he's a lo- I'm sure talk. he's a good don't, dude. Let's not talk about his singing, okay? Because <laughs> I have my opinions and I'm not going to share them. I too like Judas. I like it. But I also have some inside baseball shit that I shouldn't fucking know. <laughs> like, what, about Judas? I uh, know about, uh, like, about, like, Daphne told me some things that you heard from Rich about Chris when he first started singing. <laughs> Um, obviously, I think Chris is far better at performing and being a rock star uh, than he did in the very early days of Fozzie, but it was a journey to get there. That is all I will fucking say. So, like, I'm become, I think I'm become, that's fair I'm becoming, I'm becoming, yeah, I'm, become, I'm becoming a better singer. It, it's, shut your fucking mouth. I think he has a pretty, he has a good, like, metal-y voice. He's yeah, not bad. I, he, I think he grew into it. I think Chris would even agree that early Fozzie stuff isn't fucking great because he wasn't great. And I think the Fozzie stuff now is better because Chris would even say he got better. That's a fair statement that he's not going to get mad at. Okay. We just said Fozzie's not for us, Jake. That's all we said. You don't think one of our fans is going to isolate a clip and then <laughs> tag him in it? Oh, that's fair. Yeah, he does check Twitter a lot. He's he's on. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking always just be aware that everybody's listening to everything instead of just be like, this is a safe space where I talk with my friends. Uh, my name is Tyler Rogan. I don't need to think about the things <laughs> whoa, I fucking whoa, say. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I hope they isolate this. Uh, Chris, I loved your match with Shawn Michaels. In 2008, it's one of my favorite ones. That's fantastic. I loved your first book. I haven't read the last three, but the first one's amazing. Oh, the last one's great. Last one's fucking incredible because it's just all data, and I love that. Yes. Oh, that's the one that lists his matches? Yep. Ooh, all right. Can you get that signed for me if I send you one? (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't ask you to get this. would not ask you to get shit signed for me. I like how you put in there, like, I wouldn't dare ask you to get you want But if he did, yeah. I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> birthday's coming up in May. <laughs> I, I, know, I know you got a signed Jericho book in your road case just sitting there. Just, just give away to somebody that needs it. Yeah, just saying. So we all, all right, hate so. Fozzie. What's next? <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Daphne obviously had no proper wrestling training. But she was a pretty diehard wrestling fan, and that actually helped her get this job. The casting person was like, we need a crazy stalker for David. And Daphne was like, oh, like David's currently doing for Kimberly. And that guy was like, a broad that likes grappling, you're hired. (laughs) I don't know how much she liked it at the time. I think she said she was like aware of wrestling, but I don't think it was like having the same stories I had. I think she's like, oh, I like Macho Man, I like Miss Elizabeth. Probably very casual, uh, much more casual than it would be for anybody that would have got into wrestling initially. But probably more passionate than some of the people they hire at the PC. She wasn't like quoting Buddy Lendell's Smoky Mountain Wrestling promos, but she knew who was on TV. Yes, and she had her favorites that she liked yeah. growing up. 
so she got the part, and from the twisted wreckage that was WCW would be born Daphne. And that is Daphne with two Fs. She seems to harbor the same spelling rage that Jake does over Manscout being two separate words. Oh, yes. Very, very much so. Like, very particular on the spelling of Daphne. But also, too, here's a trivia question. She did all this research on Daphne. What is Daphne's, the character Daphne, a hometown? She had a few. Uh, she, I think she did Bad Street. Well, that uh, was more of a rib on fucking Michael P.S. Hayes and the Freebirds. I think she did Atlanta. I think she did Parts Unknown. I saw a list. I, I can't. What? What is it? What is it? Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. What's the when story she, behind that? When, when she did the, the, the pre-tape where she was like, David Flair's like my favorite wrestler. And she was like in her room, like being all stalker girly and like the Nitro Party things they would show. She was like, I'm Daphne from Allentown, Pennsylvania. And like, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's where the whole character started. And I think she just kind of randomly picked it. Like, yeah, that seems like a place that this character, because she took it like an actress. Yeah. That she's like, yeah, that's this is the place where this girl would be from, would be Allentown. And I remember we were driving back from some place, some convention. And she's like, oh, look, it's Daphne's hometown. Like, the character's hometown. And she'd point that out. Allentown seems so pointed because it's such a WWF town, but that's completely coincidental. Yeah, I don't think there was anything really behind it. I'm like, ah, it seems like, as as an actress, she was like, that's where this character would be from. Part of me thought it was like a connection to Billy Joel somehow. Like, she thought, like... (laughs) It it, it might have it might have also been because I think maybe WCW was coming through there and she was going to debut there. Like I think she might have thought about it more depthly. Like she may have made like her first like live appearance in Allentown too. I think she might have been thinking that like that far ahead. Like oh well, when I show up on TV, it'll be in Allentown. I'll say I'm in Allentown, and it makes sense why she'd be there because Daphne wouldn't be the type to travel or something. Like that. Yeah. I think it might even have a little to do with that. But I also might have been just like yep. Allentown sounds boring enough. Let's go do that. And fuck Billy Joel, as you mentioned earlier. <laughs> well, if I was going to compare Billy Joel to Chris Jericho, I... Uh... Oh, no! No! We got away from it. Chris, I love you. I'm going to give Jake a heart attack. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm fired. I know. I'm... Okay. <laughs> yeah, hey, see yourself out the door. So I'm glad we have an early opportunity to make Tyler suffer through late stage WCW because it's kind of like when the Bloods and Crips beat in a new member. Only way you leave now is on a pole. So as Jake brought up, uh, Daphne would first appear on WCW December 6, 99's Nitro in a pre-tape segment about an hour and one minute into the show. Tony Schiavone sets up that fans have been sending in tapes of Nitro parties, which is clearly a lie. Daphne, looking all mall goth and such, appears holding a teddy bear, shaking back and forth, and making what I can only describe as a Nick Alexander amount of eye contact with the camera. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Uh, And and accurate. Like, nailed it. (laughs) Like... are you sure you're not Daphne's brother? Like, that would <laughs> be like the biggest twist of all. And surprise, I'm actually Daphne's brother. In the background, you can see a little shrine to David, and she mentions how cool David is. And this is just a nice little subtle nugget of an introduction to an angle. It comes off 
really real feeling and just weird and they just kind of move on with the show don't make a big fuss about it then daphne would show up for real at 99 starcade and while it never reached the levels of wrestlemania this is wcw's big show so like pretty high pressure situation to toss this actor with no wrestling experience in front of 8500 people I think WCW did this a lot with some of the women. They they were trying to find a way to capitalize on women in the most late 90s, early 2000s way that people in charge of wrestling thought. They're like, you know, we need to get more broads watching the uh, the show. What do we need to do? We should get some more women out there. Yeah, we can't just have them wear regular-ass fucking clothes. We gotta parade them out doing women's shit. I don't know. Like, and they're just, like, trying to put more of an influx of females on the show, thinking that that just alone draws women to the program. And I remember them taking a lot of Nitro Girls at this time, and then obviously going to actresses and like we can't have women wrestle i know there's women wrestling right now but fuck let's get some models in here and do something (laughs) with them like just that backwards of thinking but it's sometimes that leads to some amazing people showing up like people gave diva searches a lot of shit but there was some really good talented people that made careers out of that opportunity you look at something like maria canellis and the fact that she's I mean, basically married into wrestling to an extent. And the way they found Daphne was no different than some of the model searches they would do, just doing an open casting call, and they found somebody that ended up being in wrestling for decades. So that was something that that always came up with Daphne, you know, especially when she was, like, taking her wrestling very seriously, and people would be like, what do you think about these diva search girls getting opportunities straight out of a casting call or finding them in fitness models and then giving them a contract? Daphne would be like, how do you think I got here? This is why I'm here. This is how it happened for me. They just threw me out there because I was, I was a woman and I just excelled and lived up to the opportunity. So there's always something to be said for that. So no thing is ever ultimately good or ultimately bad. I'll give her a ton of credit that she came in that way, but, and like we said, she didn't love wrestling the way that somebody who might get in it the traditional way did, but she fell in love with it, and as she went and WCW closed down, she worked and became a better wrestler. And there's so many of those people from the Diva Searches or from the talent calls like that that get their opportunity, and then when it's done, they're done. And she kept at it, and she improved, and she really nailed it as a performer. To set the scene at Starcade, David Flair was doing this kind of crazy David gimmick, and before the match that night against DDP, he's shown with a very familiar teddy bear, as well as a gold crowbar, as this was going to be a crowbar on a pole match. So, Ric Flair's son had gone crazy. Brian Pillman turned into the loose cannon four weeks after joining the Horsemen, or less. And Rick drove Arn Anderson so insane that in order to escape reality, the poor man decided to live in kayfabe for like 40 years. For legal reasons, uh, <laughs> I am not allowed to talk about Rick anymore. <laughs> people, people do listen, and people like to isolate clips of things that I say and send them to Ric Flair. Conrad! So, wh- once once again, Tyler, I know you want to think this is some sort of safe space where we could say whatever <laughs> in Roganville, but people actually pay attention to what we do and isolate 
what we say and uh, threaten to sue you. Take a minute and just say, you know, head on over to SaveWithConrad.com for your chance to <laughs> get some money off your mortgage and your credit card debts. Uh, Conrad's a good guy, even though he doesn't like me. That's okay. He's a good guy. I like him. He hates me. During the match, David is the first to get the crowbar off the pole. He gives a swing and misses. He eats a diamond cutter from the yoga man for the loss. But because this is such a heated blood feud that it needed a crowbar and a pole blow off, DDP puts David on the top turnbuckle, gives him another diamond cutter before picking up the crowbar and honestly aiming it at David's dick. But Daphne runs out and lays on top of him and commentary is like, hey, isn't that the girl from Nitro like two weeks ago? She pulls David out to safety and this is her first on-camera pro wrestling experience. As a side note here, Medusa won the cruiserweight title at 99 Star K to become the first ever women's champion. Just kind of a setup for later. Medusa had to be Susan so Daphne could be Anthony. Stay woke, y'all. was <laughs> <laughs> the most impassioned. Uh, uh, stay woke, y'all. The next night on Nitro, December 20th, 99, Daphne is there and is backstage innocently trying to get a Surge soda when Vampiro and his posse of Twilight fanboys start flirting with her. Daphne knees one of them in the dick and bites him in the nose. Vampire calls her a crazy bitch and pushes her, which causes Daphne to snap and run off and tell David. So next segment up, her and David Flair come down to the ring and attack Dave Pinser with a crowbar. Vampiro comes out, they attack him, and sure, this is a very like limited role, but Daphne is crushing every aspect of this, especially for an actor plucked out of a casting call. She's on national TV to WCW's audience, which had to be upwards of five, six, seven people at the time. Throwing shade uh, <laughs> on WCW viewership, uh, which their ratings at the time, because of you know how cable was, was probably anywhere of like three million, you know, maybe two million people, which, I mean, fuck, you'll get a TV contract for 10 years if you can bring somebody to a million viewers. And throwing shade on the misfits like not even like acknowledging that they're involved in this whole thing like i i don't even know who you are you might be daphne's, <laughs> you might be daphne's brother because that's how little i know about you right now <laughs> following this daphne would start managing david as well as his soon-to-be tag team partner crowbar the person not the one from the pole match Crowbar being Devin Storm, who seemed like he was like an indie grinder, a solid hand, as the good brothers would say. Do you know Devin at all, Jake? Hell yeah. That guy's fixed more pro wrestlers than anybody. <laughs> like, he is a... Saying he's a chiropractor would be, I think, very limiting of his skills. He does, like, a lot of sports rehab. Uh, okay. And there's a lot of guys that got really fucked up on indie shows, and basically Devin Storm pieced them back together. Also, too... He was definitely an indie darling, but he was also a guy who was getting a lot of shots and opportunities in ECW. He had matches with Sabu. He'd be on some of the house shows, some of the TV matches, just in like kind of like a jobbing capacity, but you could do a little bit more than that. I mean, he was in those circles of Don Montoya, Reckless Youth, early Lance Diamond, Simon Diamond, that whole crew of guys in Northeast Indies. Like, he was a... Say just a good hand, brother. He was an indie darling to an extent. 
And this is like his first opportunity, first real big opportunity. And Crowbar at this time, like it was the biggest thing he ever done and probably the most fitting thing he ever done. I don't think the lime green and black spandex with fringe was quite who he was. And now he kind of does like this leather pant, weird, like gothy looking thing where I think Crowbar is like just enough of a mix and just timely enough in late 90s that I think it was the coolest incarnation of him in what he did. And it was a thing that he was on TV for. So he had been doing jobs for WCW for years. And it's one of those things that you're in the system of doing this. And all of a sudden they give you this character, this gimmick, and then you're on TV on a regular basis. This is, this is the prime of Crowbar's career that he's been able to wrestle on indies with for the last 20 years. Daphne said that during all this, pretty much right away, she was going to WCW Power Plant on her off time, just learning everything she could. It was Shane Helms that taught her how to lock up. Crowbar was teaching her all types of stuff and obviously the Power Plant trainers. Crowbar would even fight to get her spots and bumps in the matches. So Daphne is clearly interested in the business or at least being good at it. She had an athletic background, I think, playing soccer Throw in the acting experience. She's young. She's attractive. It's not a bad little mirepoix for a pro wrestler. And you just mentioned it very quickly. Yeah, Shane Helms had been friends with Daphne for years. They they were close friends and kept together for a very long time. And Shane was always pushing for her and helping her out and always had more than enough time to teach her something. And Shane, being a tremendous teacher, uh, was able to teach her a multitude of different things. And of course, if you're you're smart and you're seeing what's going on on the other wrestling promotion, like Lita is one of the biggest things going and she's in this mix of like a male tag team. And Lita is very much like this kind of like punk alternative girl, not your typical like, you know, pretty girl that most girls m- might be turned off by. And WCW has kind of an equivalent of that in Daphne. In that, like, here's this girl. She's more of she's more of a goth. She's not so much of a punk or a rocker or alternative, but she's emo, so she's appealing to a particular demographic. But it, like a very small market that's not being serviced in this world of wrestling. And Lita would be used in moon salts and hurricanes and whatever they could. So it was kind of like a situation like, well, we have this girl. She appeals to this audience. If we can get her to do a spot or two, it's going to make our matches better. It's going to draw more attention for us. It's going to put us in high-profile situations because now the females are paying attention to us because Daphne's out and she's doing her thing and women are like, yeah, I like that girl. And then like dudes that like goth chicks are like, yeah, that girl's hot because she can do her, her Quran off the top. Whatever it is, it brings attention to it. And in that late 90s, early 2000s, if you're not paying attention to what's going on with Team Extreme, the Hardy Boys and Lita and how much of a force that is, You'd be stupid, and if you had an opportunity to capitalize it in any type of way or do your own WCW version of it, you, you got to go for it. So, and they 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 had it right there, and they were very close to it. And I, I don't even know if WCW understood what they had with Crowbar, David Flair, and Daphne, like this kind of like outcast kind of thing could have, could have been pushed in a very similar way. But I mean, I've I've listened to like you know Eric Bischoff on podcasts saying like, I don't get what the appeal is of Daphne. I don't understand it. And it's just like, dude, like 
some guys like goth chicks, some girls like like emo girls and and females that are of that want to see those girls like that that that's not an everything attractor. There are different things that attract people to, to different people and seeing the appeal of, of Lita just saying, oh, she's a beautiful girl. And that's why people like her like, no, they liked her because she like had tattoos and shit and she was cool and she didn't conform and a rebellious spirit. That's what made Lita so special. So another example of just something that WCW had, they didn't even realize the gold mine they had. I don't know if racist is the right word, but emos and goths are completely different people, Jake. <laughs> I know. <laughs> sure, sure, we're just in a space. You know, this is, you know, the, the, you got that big neon sign behind us, the Nick Alexander experience. You know, you just feel like you just say whatever you want. <laughs> To WCW's credit, which I have literally never said, they saw Daphne putting in all this work and how well she was doing, and they offered her a contract extension past the small four-week part she was originally offered. Daphne, very Lita style, would manage Crowbar and David to a tag team title reign. It was pretty short. They uh, won a tournament with a big fuck ending when Arn hit Kevin Nash with a crowbar, the tool, not the man. By spring 2000... Daphne was getting sucked into the New Blood stable, which would more or less put her in at least the orbit of the main event scene, since Russo was like, I know what will save WCW, bro, me getting 63 minutes of screen time per episode. By March, Daphne would start getting into the ring, first with some dark matches. Uh, She teamed up with David to take on XS. Then, on May 8th, 2000's Nitro, Daphne would have her first ever TV pro wrestling match against Elizabeth. There was a backstage segment to set all this up. Russo's screaming at Elizabeth about God knows what. She says, time for her to learn some tough love by facing Daphne. And uh, (laughs) they get into it. Uh, Liz pops Daph in the mouth, snap marries her. And for two people that are not classically trained, it was beautiful it's like perfect but uh medusa runs out like i don't know 20 seconds into this and breaks it up and ends in a dq daphne looked amazing especially for somebody half a year into the wrestling business as a whole and then you had elizabeth who has been a part of wrestling for nearly a decade she seemed more out of place than anything in this she didn't seem very comfortable with in the ring at all and uh props to daphne for this one i think Elizabeth said multiple times she's not, she didn't want to be in the ring. She seemed very nervous coming out to the ring. And oddly in like black and white camo too. Like that yeah, was a, weird, that was a yeah. choice for her who wore like fucking prom dresses her whole career or whatever. Yeah. You know, she served a tour over in Desert Storm. That was just. <laughs> no. Who had to educate you and everything? She was part of the No Limit soldiers that were there. Do you oh, not remember that? Oh, <laughs> no. I, no, no, no. I'm making that up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You can do so many Mandela effect things with late WCW <laughs> that you're like, you know, did you remember, like, Miss Elizabeth was part of the No Limit Soldiers? That- she had that whole segment with Master P, <laughs> you, you know? He was like, I'm going to make it say, oh, na 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 And Miss Elizabeth did the na-na-nas. You never remember that? Come on. But no, yeah, Liz never, she had no desire to be in a ring. And that's the other thing, too, is that both these women are well-liked, and... I'm sure whoever's putting the match together, they're like, probably went up to him like, 
hey, can we get in the ring early and go over it early? We want to make sure it looks as good as possible. I know it's only like 20 or 30 seconds, but we want to make sure it looks as good as possible. And like, if you don't have a lot of experience and you're coming to a person with a bunch of experience, uh, an agent or whoever's putting this thing together and you come at them with that attitude, like I'll show up early. Let's make sure we get this right. Let's do this as good as possible. Like you can work with that. If you're coming into it with that type of energy, everybody's going to help you be successful. Nobody is going to put you in a situation where you fail or look bad or look horrible. All you got to do is just come with that energy and approach somebody with experience and patience and you will put out a product that you'll be happy with. And of course, like I'm sure Medusa probably ran out early too because Medusa hated Daphne. Oh no, really? Hated her. She hated all of the girls that got hired like during that time period and all of the like the Nitro girls that got converted over to wrestle because a lot of times Medusa was the one asked to teach these girls things. Yeah. And she didn't want that spot. She didn't do that spot. So then people like Shane Helms was like, well, this girl has a good attitude and wants to learn. Well, I'll just go ahead and teach her some stuff. If Medusa's not doing it, I'll just go ahead and do that, you know. Here's somebody that wants to learn professional wrestling, something I love. I'll teach. But yeah, Medusa hated, hated Daphne. But there's more of a Daphne situation than probably a personality. And the way it goes in wrestling, once people have made their mind up about you, they will hold that judgment in their mind for 20, 30 years. I've yeah. seen it happen a million times. So the May 15th Nitro is a huge night for Daphne. First... Chris Candido walks out with Sonny and says they are the best couple in wrestling, which is debatable. Sidebar real quick. I, I went back and did a re-edit on the Chris Candido episode and fixed that weird, jarring, two-part break in the middle of it. So that that's fixed. So sorry, everyone in 2018. Aside yeah, crowbar. Uh, go, go back. Oh, I'm sorry. Was there a pun that happened? A side crowbar. Yeah, I, I, that's it. Yeah. I I I heard something hit. I heard something like land flatly. Uh -huh. I wasn't for sure what that was. I, I I'm in a new house and it makes weird sounds uh -huh. and I just heard like a flat sound <laughs> and then like I, I recognized that Tyler was talking. I'm like oh, he was probably saying a joke. That's what's going on. It does, so, okay, yeah. Does cool. your house All sound right. like it's trying too hard? <laughs> <laughs> Chris issues an open tag team challenge where he'll put his cruiserweight title on the line, which I, I don't know. That doesn't make sense. Outwalks Crowbar and Daphne, and we kind of blew through this match when we covered Candido, but this match is so fun. Like we've established Crowbar, experienced indie dude. Candido is incredible, so all their spots are awesome. But I have to give credit where credit is due. Yes, Tammy Cinch is obviously a succubus whose life force is fueled by the suffering of others. But she crushes this match. She reverses a suplex into a cradle roll-up that was goddamn Brian Danielson level. She uh, hits a swinging net breaker on Crowbar, and I was like, he's either a god-tier seller or someone needs to put the fucking rocket ship on Sonny. Meanwhile, Stacy Keebler walks out to the entrance ramp, and Miss Hancock is who she was. She starts dancing for some reason because WCW is a fever dream at this point. Oh, yeah. Sonny tries to check on Chris, who's getting pummeled on the wrap by Crowbar. Daphne rolls her up for the one, two, three. So the cruiserweight title goes to Team Crowbar and Daphne, making them co-cruiserweight champions. 
So my biggest problem with this match, Crowbar came out carrying a lead pipe. Are you fucking shitting me? The <laughs> crowbar? Are you what the fuck? <laughs> this very same Nitro, Shades of Ernest P. Whirl, David, Daff, and Russo go to Ric Flair's house. I thought it was a pretty good little uh, troll segment. On the way out, they run into Reed, which is sadly an episode we did. And Mm -hmm. also little baby Ashley, a.k.a. Charlotte Flair. The only thing from Uh, this that I have a question about, why are they saying sports entertainment so much? Is that a dig at WWF specifically or what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. AEW does it too because Vince hates the word wrestling. Gotcha. He doesn't refer to his wrestlers. They're superstars. It's not wrestling. It's sports entertainment. Mm-hmm. He refuses. Do not do that. Yep. You will get fired. He hates wrestling. He hates Southern wrestling. He hates everything that everybody's like, oh, old school. Like all those things that old time wrestling fans and all the, the terminology, he hates every ounce of it. He wants to rename it because he is rewriting the history books. But that's why AEW is like, they hit wrestling so hard. Anytime somebody comes in who's like talent or production or in front of a microphone, they, they over accentuate the word wrestling because they're so relieved to fucking say it. And I take a lot of pride that I am working for a wrestling promotion. I don't work for a sports entertainment conglomerate. I work for a pro wrestling company airing on TNT and TBS. Like we work for a professional wrestling company. All very proud of it. Well, this is a but, sports entertainment podcast, so... Uh, and I'm stopping record in one, two, three. Good luck syncing up this episode. So. <laughs> that would be so fucked. What a maneuver by Jake. <laughs> the following week on May 22nd episode of Nitro, Crowbar and Daphne faced one another to determine the undisputed world cruiserweight champion, you know, they're doing the whole thing where Crowbar doesn't want to fight her. That brings out former champion Chris Candido, accompanied by Namtar, demon of Sumerian folklore, or Tammy. They come down to the ring and attack Crowbar and Daphne, and the ref just allows it, which I, I don't know. Chris and Crowbar get into a couple chair spots, leaving Crowbar knocked out. And this is very similar to that uh, Eddie China match. Daphne's just kind of like checking on Crowbar and the ref takes it as a pin and he does the count. And Daphne is your second ever woman to become WCW Cruiserweight Champion. Medusa's in shambles. Daphne was like kind of proud of this. And Shane always took pride in being the cruiserweight champion. Daphne took pride in the cruiserweight belt. So like, hey, we're cruiserweight besties, you know? <laughs> I know if we ever, during the VGT days, if we ever had a cruiserweight title belt for former champions to sign, we would have had, like, Shane sign it. We would have had Daphne sign it and done some sort of, like, art graphic piece, I'm sure we would have. And we would have been breaking probably logos and copyright laws, but you know, fuck it. I worked for high spots. We didn't care about that shit. Um, <laughs> so we, we infringe upon people's copyrights. It's okay. It's all in the sake of making money. Yeah. Um, uh, I absolutely bought a like best of McFoley DVD from high spots back in the day. And then when I saw him at one of the stand up comedy shows that he did, I got it signed and he's like, Hmm, I don't think I got any money from this. I'm like, okay, thanks, Mix. Nice meeting you. Right <laughs> away. Yeah. I uh, I didn't realize the carny bubble that I was in <laughs> for about 16 years until I started working for like a company. And I go, oh, we were really 
we were the outside of the law. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was literally a gypsy vampire pirate. I kind of still am to an extent. Like, that's you don't unbecome that to an extent, but. I was like, whoa. Uh, you know, maybe Rocky Johnson but, was in the right, Jake. Uh, we <laughs> haven't done that episode. <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs> but no, uh, Daphne uh, was super happy about this, but she kind of knew uh, she was never like Judy Bagwelling it up about this accomplishment, like telling people like, I never lost those tag belts. I should still have them. Like she wasn't doing anything. Like that. She's like, oh, this is a cool thing I did, but I'm not Dean Malenko. Like, I think she kind of, like, knew what it was, appreciated it for what it was, and, you know, it's a defining moment in her career, and she's like, hey, I did that. I'm pretty happy about that. But she wasn't, it wasn't her defining characteristic. So I think that's the spot that it occupied in Daphne's life and her career. So she has a couple title defenses. May 24th on Thunder, she defend the title against Candido and the artist in a triple threat. And she's wearing a black wedding dress because at this point she was engaged to marry David Flair. The guys actually like wrestle Daphne here, which that brings out Crowbar to attack him. Sonny, who is ringside feasting on the dreams of children, pauses to hit Daph, but she ducks. Chris gets hit. Daph like falls backwards on top of him, getting the pin and the win. Nick, I'm oh. getting the feeling you don't like Sonny. No, no one likes Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, I got a feeling that you don't like Sonny. Nobody likes Sonny. <laughs> Won't even let him finish the facetious question that he's posed. <laughs> Nobody likes Sonny. Like, I feel like it's going to be like everything. Like, Nick, I got a feeling that your audio levels are a little bit. Nobody likes Sonny. <laughs> Daphne's title reign lasted till June 7th, Thunder. She was defending her titles against Lieutenant Loco, who is Chavo Jr., and Disco Inferno when she's distracted by Stacy, a.k.a. Miss Hancock, who's trying to steal her man. Meanwhile, we get a run-in by the Misfits, the faction, not the band, and G.I. Bro, a.k.a. Booker T, fucks up Disco, letting Chavo get the pin and the win. So, like father, like son, David Flair was out there hoeing, and he ended up leaving Daphne for Stacy Keebler, setting up a match at 2000's Bash at the Beach, a wedding gown match where in order to win, you have to pull off the other woman's dress because 2000 WCW is just the Kmart version of the Attitude Era. Stacy rips off the ref's pants, which seems like a DQ. Daft pulls down David's pants. Crowbar runs in and just takes off his pants. Uh, Stacy loses the match by taking off her own gown so that she can dance. And then Daphne hits her with a wedding cake, five and three, four stars. I'm so glad I wasn't around for this. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I feel like this is what this was and what I, what I knew about Daphne. Like, I think this was like, she probably didn't feel comfortable. Like, this is, she probably was like, this is so sexist. Like, can't we just like wrestle like we it could be a bullshit wrestling match but why does it got to be like a evening gown match if i know daphne she had her issues with it that way even though she's like hey i was a casting call girl and i'll do whatever and i'm new but i'd like to wrestle i like wrestling can we just have a wrestling match bro bro you don't (laughs) understand bro it's gonna make money bro no, you don't understand, bro. There's only room for one Vince Russo in here. You wear your Kmart Mets gear. You think you come to me? 
You know very well, today is the day that I wear my Knicks gear, and I'm about ready to choke the shit out of you like Knicks legend Latrell Sprewell, <laughs> baby. All right, you greasy-haired motherfucker. I don't want to hear no more of it. Jim, what are you doing here? You just missed Vince. He he heard a tennis racket swaying from down the hall of the Ten Bell Pod Studios where we're all three in. <laughs> I'm sorry you missed him. I know you've been trying to get your revenge, like, uh, I guess, pee on him because you have some weird kink fetish to pee on him. Is that is that what it is you would need to pee on him? I, I will piss on his grave. Oh, it's his grave. I always just thought for the years you wanted to piss on Vince Russo because that's some weird fetish. I mean, I get it to each his own. I'm not going to kink shame you. Whatever you want to do, I, I'm not going to kink shame you as long as it's a consenting adult. That's all I ask. Listen here, ask fucking you. man scout, all right? You going to come in here? You think you think funny makes money? No, sir. You would have been in my Smoky Mountain Wrestling in 1991. You know what I would have done? You know what I would have done with you? You would have booked me against Cowabunga and we would have had a 10-star match. Damn right. <laughs> To speak on that, Daphne, she was very attractive, and she could have leaned into that easily, and I think it would have went well, but I think she wrestled her entire career without ever doing any kind of, like, you know, getting on her knees and barking in the ring to Vince McMahon or or doing a bikini match. There's a spot in TNA, I remember this, where it was, I think she, to save her job, they're like, you need to strip or something like that. Uh, I didn't go through it back in the, the research, but she's like begrudgingly like taking, she got like one shoulder strap off and then there was like a run in or something. Yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. That's the closest I think she came to any of that TNA stuff. Well, she, she was very much against all of that. And, and kind of circle back to my point. I think that's why you saw everybody take their pants off is because I think she probably confided in Crowbar and David. She's like, I don't really feel comfortable doing this. I mean, I'll, I'll do whatever. So I, I could see Crowbar being like, well, we'll take our pants off too. If you guys got to take your clothes off, fuck it. We'll take our clothes off too. And it's like kind of an equal opportunity thing. It's like, we're going to make this a gag. Yeah. We're going to make this gaga. We're going to make this, we're going to make this funny and not sexual. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably something that was put together by the three of them and, and make it what it was. And that's why everybody's clothes came off. Cause yeah. it's like, if everybody's taking the clothes off comedically, then it's not sexy anymore. Right. 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 Then it's just a bit with nudity. And and that's, I think that's kind of what it is. And, and Daphne always fell in that line of like, it's, it's okay to be a casting call, like diva search girl, but like you're brought here for, in a wrestling company. Let's do wrestling. Yeah. But Daphne herself, she, she took sexy picks, but in her own way, in her own style. Yeah. It wasn't, Daphne, we need you to do a bikini shoot. She would do bikini sh- mm-hmm. shoots, but she would do them, you know, like, hey, I need some, I need some sexy pics, and also too, like, I mean, fuck, look at Instagram. Yeah, I mean, better yet, look at fucking Brian Cage's Instagram. That motherfucker is like in his fucking boxer briefs, pulling him fucking down, almost seeing, showing off his fucking wanger, so people could say he's got a good body. <laughs> I mean, and you know what? Jake Manning's fucking guilty of it, too. So old Thirst Trap Manning used to post them all the fucking time. Used to? You've done I, it in the last three months. <laughs> I, well, because there's a lot of progress to show off, Tyler. Um, we're all looking for a little bit of validation of how good our bodies look because it, bodies are so important to this whole thing, and men and women are in this industry are no different in the same sense that like men prefer to wear trunks because it shows off more of their body or take 
fucking gym selfies. That same energy is why female wrestlers do bikini shoots. And also, too, they can put a picture of it on a merch table. And if they have a different one every time they come to a town, they can clean up and make hundreds, thousands of dollars on selling that 8x10 at a show or online or wherever. So it is my monetary financial to do that. And, you know, Daphne, when she took sexy pics, it was of her own style. Yeah. It was there was that thing of zombie hot that I think maybe like Taz coined. I think that's the thing. It's the difference between a female wrestler wanting to express her sexuality and doing it willingly, as opposed to a pervy writer coming up and being like, you know, what if you took your top off, you know, and like, I'm your boss, so you have to, you know. And that's why, like, it's important to have female agents and female coaches so they they can have those discussions and, and do the things that are necessary for a female match to to appease all the things that people are looking for in a female wrestling match athleticism uh beauty strength and, and even just a little sprinkling of sexuality and that's what makes female wrestling so wonderful and beautiful because it you paint with such bright and beautiful colors following this Daphne would basically just kind of valet for crowbar until wcw does some massive cutbacks releasing daphne and several others february 2nd 2001 about a month before vince would old yeller wcw following her release daphne wanted to stay in pro wrestling she fell in love with the business the life and like we mentioned she has just about every tool you need to make a run at it on top of the ever elusive tv credit She started looking for training and ended up at Dusty Rhodes Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling. Jake, I know you've kind of been in this situation with the Flair Kids and maybe some others. What's it like to train someone who's already been on, like, WCW? It's like someone doing a set on Conan and then coming to an open mic and being like, how do I do this shit? It's like, what? (laughs) You're doing it backwards. It takes a special person to do that. For somebody to be like, hey, I want to continue to do this. Where are some schools? And you just kind of ask around and you, and you, and you figure out. And, and those those are the special ones. And, like, you know, she could have just slipped off to the background and faded away, did a couple more acting gigs and been on some directed video or directed DVD releases. Like, former WCW star Daphne stars in... Suburban Commando Point, 2. Point, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Suburban Commando 2. Yes. Um... She sought out, like, I need to refine, I need to get better, I want to do more of this, and I, I was what I was. And, and there was a lot of that, actually, because there was a lot of people that got thrusted onto TV way too soon during this whole Monday Night Wars thing that the ones you saw really stick around were the ones that sought after the Les Thatchers, the Danny Davises of Ohio Valley, sought after opportunities in the Super 8, sought after the promoters that were in Florida that was kind of having a little bit of an indie boom to an extent, the people that sought after the Jesse Hernandez's and were wrestling at the Frankenstein's flea market and looked for those opportunities to continue to wrestle and keep their dream alive and trying to find ways into zero one or hustle or whatever promotion in Japan would have them. I just know I have to wrestle. Much in the same sense that we see, to your example of, of comics, that they do a Tonight Show set, and they're just like, I gotta, I gotta keep going. I gotta, I gotta keep doing the mics, or like, I'm in town headlining, 
in Charlotte, but I'm driving up from Atlanta. Why don't I go to Greenville the night before a headline and see if they got any mics or something like that? You have to have that compulsion that drives you forward with it. After some training, Daphne spent 01-ish, 02-ish working local shows, grabbing some spots with Turnbuckle Wrestling, and also another little promotion Dusty was helping start, NWA's version of TNA, where she'd wrestle in valet. Then, 2003 is a Big ol' year for Daphne. She worked for Extreme Pro Wrestling as Lucy Fur, the manager of Vic Grimes, who had now recovered from his New Jack attempted murder. In April 26, she would debut in Ring of Honor and become a manager for the Second City Saints, CM Punk, Colt Cabana, and Ace Still. Is this about the time she and started dating CM Punk? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. And then we'll move away from this. We'll keep moving. This is a very awkward situation. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> because of my friendship with Daphne, because my friendship with Cole Cabana, with my friendship with Mason, and then also, too, my working relationship with CM Punk, this is the weirdest quandary of ever, and this is the way wrestling works sometimes. You walk into a room, and you're like, oh, there are all types of things we could be talking about right now. Let's talk about none of those because it makes the room awkward. So let's move on past that. She was wrestling as Lucy Fur, and I forgot that was a thing she did. I forget it all the time, and I'll be going through results, and I'll just scroll through, and you'll see Lucy Fur in a wash over me, not even realizing, oh, shit, that was fucking dad. Yeah. That whole Lucy Fur era, just it. For me, it's like the of a band, it's like the lost years. Of Daphne Unger in my book. <laughs> Even as a, a friend, I don't hear a lot about that time anyways. And I think she was kind of going through it as well. Because here's this thing that she wants to do. It's a compulsion that she wants to do it. And at this moment in time of 2003 to 2007, it is paying as little as fucking possible. And the fact that you ask for any amount of respect, you get fucking laughed at by a guy who's running shows in fucking Lancaster, South Carolina, and they're like, how dare you ask for a monicum of fucking respect? How dare you? And your rate? Do you expect to work for that price? When it's really a a fair price that pays your travel expenses and everything to be there, and there's not a lot of people running, so you kind of just gotta fucking take it? So, yeah, I think she does talk about this a lot because I think she was going through a lot. I think there was a lot going on, and then maybe even some personal stuff as well, too. Also, in 03, Daphne was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, or as people in 2003 called it, have you just tried being happy? What do you have to be sad about? And of course, just drink more water. July 2003, she was signed to WWE's old developmental territory, Ohio Valley Wrestling, and it didn't seem like the funnest thing for her. She ended up uh, injuring her knee, first of all. I think that troubled her forever. They shot down most of her ideas, and on top of that, she said she felt like JR didn't really like or or get her, and uh, she was released December 17th that same year. After getting to WWE and getting released, Daphne was feeling pretty defeated, and she actually quit. She sold her wrestling boots to her roommate, Mickey James. She started working at a gym and just trying to decide what was next for her. Jake, let me know if this is the wrong date, but in 2006, it seemed like she took a one-off booking, and she said that like getting back in the ring and hearing those fans and you know working a match, she was hooked all over again. Yes, 
was that one-off booking like a Russell Birmingham show? I think so, yeah. Okay, because I think she was living in Alabama at that time with her, maybe her mother. And it's so weird that she quit wrestling, but I don't think she, I think, I don't know how true that is. Like, I think she probably quit just, I'm done wrestling wrestling, but I'll still be around it. Because I I, kind of would be like at a show and then somebody like, oh, Daphne's here. And I remember she did a shoot interview with Michael back when Michael was running high spots out of his house. And Michael just started doing shoot interviews. And then this was like his first female wrestler he was going to interview. And he would just do them at his house and like his upstairs bedroom. (laughs) And as 2003, 2004, Michael was smart enough to realize, oh, that comes off as creepy. (laughs) Now, Michael now may may glaze over that fact. That doesn't sound creepy at all. But I think 2003, 2004, Michael was very aware. Like, hey, telling a woman to come over to my house and film something in my guest bedroom. That sounds creepy. Like, I think he was self-aware enough, and he had his first wife, Kirsten, stick around while he did this, so that way Daphne felt more comfortable. Well, now you could say, come over to my house and film a podcast, and any comic fucking wrestler makes no difference would just be there in a fucking heartbeat or a second or Zoom. They, They wouldn't even think about it, where that was a very weird thing to say at that time. And when Daphne got there, she hit it off with Michael's first first wife. Michael's like, hey, you know, this girl's pretty cool. Seems like a very, very interesting person. Had a great interview with her. Actually hung out a little bit a little bit after and just like, oh, that was that was that went far better than expected. And almost kind of was a situation like, hey, if you're ever in Charlotte, let us know. We'll hang out. And kind of left it at that. And then we when I say we, it was me, Michael, and Michael's friend from college went to a Russell Birmingham show because they were having these really great shows in Birmingham, Alabama at this uh, Shriner Temple where TNA ran, I think, their first ever pay-per-view. And we were there. We are going to sell merch, and we paid for a merch spot. We were just kind of like selling, and all of a sudden, Daphne's on the show, and she's having this big uh, light heavyweight feud with Action Mike Jackson, I think, at the time, which is a weird pairing, if you know Mike Jackson. (laughs) But she was there, and she was wrestling, and she heard Michael like, oh my gosh, you're here. I didn't realize you're here. And and she remembered Michael, and she was there selling her pictures and talked to Michael for quite an extended period of time. And part of the reason why we were in Birmingham is because Michael was going through his first divorce, and (laughs) and he just needed to get away and wrestling and making money is the thing he was his escape and now here's this person that he was talking to that was from his past and like oh it was good to meet you and stuff like that and kirsten because she was having a divorce with michael was going to be leaving and michael michael's like i need somebody to handle my customer service and daphne was just kind of wrestling and michael was like hey what are you doing these days and she's like oh, i'm just trying to you know, find this and do this. I'm trying to just, just wrestle and do my do my thing. And then they they got into contact and they started talking. And then all of a sudden, Michael's like, you know what? Daphne could probably get into some of these conventions that I'm hard, having a hard time getting into. Like, I could book her as, like, the guest and we could do a, some sort of a split on her pictures in 8x10s and whatever show she's on. Because Michael at this time was very much me and the other high spot students. Like, he was like, you have access to my entire merch warehouse and access to my vehicles. Go ahead and take my vehicles, sell merch, use it to pay gas and hotels, and then bring me back the rest. Just don't steal from me. Go to different places and talk about high spots and let people know that high spots exist. Go do it and spread my tentacles everywhere. Now, seeing somebody who has had some TV time, oh, now my tentacles could spread even further. 
was was kind of what he was he was seeing. And then also too, Daphne was saying that she was trying to look for a job, and he's like, "Hey, well, I'll give you a job working in my office, and then you can have access to everything." You know, and she of course was dating a pro wrestler at the time named Caleb Connolly, not with a K yet, because he didn't know how to spell. Because he's the dumbest person I know. Um, <laughs> just didn't know how to spell his own name. Real pretty though. A real pretty man. Real dark, deep blue eyes, like deep. He who shall not be named. Blue eyes. Um, <laughs> so she's like, "Can can he come along?" And of course. He showed up, and I immediately hated his guts, because that's what I do with all of my friends. I hate them immediately. And that's how she kind of ended up at high spots, as Michael was going through a divorce. He was losing Kirsten, who worked in his office, saw the value of, of Daphne, like as far as like going on the convention circuit and getting into different places and wrestling shows and, and getting out there. And then also, too, she's going to bring somebody else along. So we had another employee, because it looks like we were about ready to lose some other of our interns as well. So he was going to be down a couple of people in the office and bring her on in. And Daphne moved to Charlotte and lived in the notorious High Spots house, which is aptly now nicknamed The Trap uh, for for the students that still live there now. They refer to it as The Trap because it is the fucking trap. It is a very rundown house, and there have been no renovations done to it whatsoever, and wrestlers have been living there ooh, for 15 years now, and a multitude of famous wrestlers have come through there and partied there, drank there, slept on the floor, and done multiple things in, in that high spots house, and Daphne and Caleb moved there just for kind of an opportunity for a fresh start, something different, and that's where me and Daphne became friends. From that day forth, she was... She was my friend. We traveled anywhere and everywhere, conventions, wrestling shows. She would speak up for me, get me on a lot of shows that I wasn't meant to even be on, and introduce me to people that I never thought I would talk to because she knew them in WCW. And yeah, that's how that all kind of started from that time of I quit. And now I'm around. And I actually met Caleb before he moved to High Spots. Like when all this was kind of happening and it was like a few months away, I went to do an NWA Anarchy show and Daphne was just there because Caleb was wrestling on the show and she's like, I'm just going to hang out and I'm going to watch some wrestling. And she hadn't even like really started wrestling again. I uh, like that much. I think she was just wrestling for Wrestle Birmingham and just doing that. I don't think she knew if she wanted to wrestle again, but she's just like, ah, my, my boyfriend's wrestling. I want to see the show. Cool. I want to be around wrestling. And she would just be in the back. She'd just be in the back, just hanging out. And just be the coolest person there. I'm like, and here's all these young guys, and a lot of them didn't do fucking fuck all. <laughs> and they thought they were super important. And, you know, here's Daphne, who's actually done a thing or two. And she's just like, yeah, I just, I showed up a little early, do a little training in the ring, and, you know, and just was like the most low key, coolest person in the locker room. So it always works. The person with the, with the most TV time and most notoriety turns out to be the coolest person in the locker room because they got nothing to prove. But that's how. That whole, like, spot of not wrestling anymore, let's try it. You get in a feud with Mike Jackson, you meet Michael at high spots, he has a, an employment need, you fit that need, now you're in high spots, and now you're friends with a guy who dresses up like a Boy Scout for <laughs> over two decades. So, ta-da. In July 07, Daphne made her wrestling debut for Shimmer, where she was used as a manager, a wrestler, also wrestled a little bit as Shark Girl. Tell us a little bit about Shimmer. 
I mean, I mean, Schumer's obviously a product of Dave Prezak, who, man, what a guy. I had people close to me that have some not great things to say about Dave Prezak, but I've always liked Dave Prezak, especially as a professional, especially as a guy who is a champion of female wrestling. Like, I don't, if you don't have Dave Prezak, I would shudder to think what female professional wrestling would look like. He was the guy who worked for Ian and told Ian he needs to start booking female wrestlers on his show. And he booked Volcano Girls, an all-female wrestling tournament, and was champion female wrestling, championing female wrestlers, and then also was trying to find inroads and bringing in Japanese female wrestlers, Australians, UK, women from all over the world to do his shimmer tapings and produce a high-quality female wrestling promotion. I mean, and, and every shimmer event is basically just like a another bola <laughs> like what what bola does for people like in their careers every shimmer event does that for every female wrestler it legitimizes them it, it puts people at the top of everybody's radar if you're like who are the top female wrestlers well let's just go to the shimmers roster page of the last shimmer results and see who was on it, it it's them and through dave prazak and lexi fife they were cultivating a multitude of talent to present an amazing product and a very serious and legitimate product and a, and a product that obviously the struggles of somebody like Daphne, you know, this is what you want to be a byproduct of all your struggles of like, Hey, we want to wrestle. Let us wrestle. Don't put us in a bikini match. Don't put us in a bowl of gravy match. Just let us wrestle. Let us be attractive. Let us go wrestle. Let's go play athletic. Like I'll, I'll, I'll wear cute gear and I'll be a pretty girl and I'll wrestle. I'll, I'll play that game with you, but like, just let me fucking just fucking wrestle. And that's what Shimmer, Shimmer was and, and gave so many women their start, their break, their opportunity to succeed, meet friends, lifelong friends. And the importance of Shimmer cannot be stressed enough. It needs to be exalted to the, the highest degree as much as possible because it, it is probably one of the most important wrestling promotion not just female wrestling but it's probably one of the most important wrestling promotions that's ever existed especially at an independent level and the fact that it's still going and still giving women opportunity is amazing and especially international women there's a laundry list of women that got into shimmer via like they were international talent got into shimmer somebody from wwe saw it and they were signed and then it became the biggest fucking thing on nxt that that was a path for a lot of lot of women, and that opportunity was given by Shimmer and Dave Prezak and Lexi Fife. Daphne's first match was on Shimmer fourteen, so pretty early against Lexi Fife, and it's pretty solid. But if you watch some of her early Shimmer matches, you can tell that Daphne's been trained. She has gotten some experience, and at this point, she is no longer this actor who got into wrestling. She is a professional wrestler. And around this point, she was just right back on the grind, wrestling all over, including a United Wrestling Federation match where Eric Young and Gail Kim took on Daphne, and none other than the king of camp style, the legend of tent core, the Eddie Guerrero of the Order of the Arrow, the mascot Jake Manning. The one and the only, yes. Uh, that was the Hermie Sadler events. And see, Daphne was smart. Very, very, very smart. She always said this. She's like, she's like, just, you know, you don't have to open the door for me. Just, just crack it enough for me to get a pinky toe 
in, and I'll just weasel my way in. She goes, that's all I need. And, you know, TNA was happening, and, you know, we already talked about how, like, OVW didn't turn out the way she wanted. The head of talent relations was not impressed and not interested in what she brought to the table. TNA was the only other promotion that was on TV regularly, so she was trying to find an opportunity to get in there. And Hermie Sadler was in charge of TNA house shows. And very early on, before Daphne ever got to high spots, we were we were doing TNA house shows. Well, fun fact, old Jake Manning was probably one of the first street team people for TNA wrestling. I was going into towns like Jacksonville, North Carolina, uh, Gainesville, Georgia, Chattanooga, Tennessee, flyering in a Walmart parking lot and having people come up to me going, what's this TNA thing? What, what is this? It's a wrestling promotion and I have to explain and, and be like, hey, they're coming, they're doing a house show here, yada, yada, yada. So like, I had to do a lot of street team stuff and Hermie Sadler was in charge of that. But then there was a split and then it had to be UWF. Then it became a little bit easier for me to be on the shows because the TNA shows had to be all TNA talent. And then when they kind of split off and it was UWF, then it's like, okay, well, well, let's use Jake and some of the other guys at high spots. And well, Daphne's here at high spots. Let's get her in here. And everybody likes and respects Daphne. And we had a a really good mixed tag. And um, we actually had another mixed tag where it was Gail Kim and David Young, I think. Yes, Gail Kim and David Young and me and Daphne. So I, I wrestled Gail Kim like twice and Daphne was my partner each time. And she was always like, Oh, I'll do this and this. And she always kind of made sure like, you know, Jake, make sure you get your stuff in. Make make sure you look good. Make sure you look good. You know, like, this might be a good opportunity for you. Somebody from TNA might see you. And, like she'd always kind of like pump me up for these matches as it was a big opportunity when she was also using an opportunity to wrestle Gail, who was very established at TNA and get Gail to say, Hey, we need Daphne here. And Daphne at this time, she always had like a, uh, this is, this is going to date both of us. This was during the time of a lot of the guys in charge of wrestling didn't know how to open up an attachment or click a link, or there wasn't (laughs) anything like a Dropbox where you could have your photos. Daphne, and I got this from her as well. And I did, and actually she passed this promo packet. She passed the promo package along for me, but she kept a promo packet on her a physical promo packet which was a folder that you open up and then you have eight by tens of different looks like a written resume and then a dvd of your wrestling and high spots had the ability to put typing or a graphic on there of you know man scout and have my little man scout album right on the dvd so they could hopefully put the dvd in watch it and then Flip through the promo pictures, and I remember her talking that she had a meeting with Terry Taylor, and he's like, "Oh, lots of good looks here. I like this. You came very well prepared." Like, and I remember when she finally got to TNA, I'm like, "Can you take a promo package for me too?" And she says, "Absolutely. I'll make sure it gets to the right person." And she was very much a hustler, man. She was determined, especially at this moment in time. She was trying to find a way in. She was trying to find more bookings. She was trying to find the best shows. She was trying to get on them. She would show up to them even if she wasn't booked. She would email. She was persistent. She would stay on top of people. She would text friends on her show. Like The amount of work that she did just to keep career going, get to the places that she needed to be, it was like a full-time job. And that's why I always feel like a failure. Like I'm like, oh, I'm not doing enough because I was so close to Daphne and saw her hustle. Like my therapist is trying to talk out of like hustle culture and how it forces us to work too much and makes us feel awful. But I'm like, I don't know. Seemed to work pretty well from a fucking friend. It seems like she had to do a lot of work just to get what she was she was owed.
there was always like a a push at this time. And I always liked that. And I liked having her around at that time because it pushed me. When I saw she was doing something or she was doing a photo shoot, I'm like, oh, I got to do a photo shoot. Or I've got to get new pictures. Or I got to get new gear. Or I got to do this. And like, you know, I you know, I just never thought about that. That she was really, you know, you get around other wrestlers and they kind of push you a little bit. Like the more that I've gotten around Danhausen and Effie, like they pushed me to do some stuff that was a little bit outside my comfort zone, but also get me to do things to help my career along. You know, Daphne was that. And you need that sometimes. You need that person that's, that's pushing a little bit harder than you to challenge you and push you. And that's what she was for me, especially this, this time period. So tagging with her, it was nice for that evening, but she was my tag partner during this whole time of 2007, 2009, and pretty much was a big supporter of mine after that. So, but yeah, from like 2007 to 2009, that was like, that was my partner. I was my uh, partner the, to push me, the person I was looking to, the person I'd ask advice from. She was that person. So, yeah. So you used to carry around an analog website with you. Yes. Okay, boomer. That is exactly yeah. That's that's exactly what I did, and I had to have like a couple of them in my bag in case somebody important showed up. And like, can you give this to so and so? That's insane. Yeah, that was 2007. 2007. That was happening because also too, it, it's like there are things available that you could do. You could send him a YouTube link at this time, but the fucking asshole that's in charge of the decisions, <laughs> he doesn't know how or what fucking YouTube is. What's this gobbledygook? <laughs> they told me don't open no 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 more of those links no more because they had some fucking virus on my computer. I ain't gonna open that shit. Just crashes his Windows ninety five Dell computer. <laughs> Fun piece of Daphne trivia: she would be in PWG's first ever women's match against Candice LeRae at two thousand eight's Dia de los Dangerous. And Mr. Uh, Tyler, I watched PWG. Uh, what would what, you what do you think about this? Oh, this is the year before I started watching. Oh, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then in summer of 08, Daphne goes to the place where I assume most people know her from uh, TNA, which I guess she's technically going back to TNA, but this isn't Cody's old man's TNA. It's it's a different company. <laughs> Nick, you can't. Oh, no, now you can. Never mind. Go yeah. for it. Now go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just want to let you know all Cody jokes yeah. are back on board, guys. They're back on board. Every You don't have to hold those in anymore. So, Cody, Dusty, hold off on Dustin. Yes. Uh, yes. And don't you dare say a bad word about Dakota. But, yes, she, she had been angling for a position in TNA, and she was given an opportunity to do this, and... She worked hard for this, man. And we've seen stuff like this before. We're like, oh, somebody. And then like, oh, my gosh, this local person gets an opportunity. And then you never see it from again. But like Daphne always said, just let me get my pinky toe in and I'll work my way in. And that's what she did. TNA made the mistake of letting her in the door. (laughs) And she's like, never leaving. Sorry, guys. Her debut was presented in a really weird way mm-hmm. where it was like three plants that were wrestlers. Yeah. And they immediately acknowledged that. I what was shocked you? that they like yeah. brought up WCW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that that part of TNA like AEW has continued the awesome wrestling spirit of WCW. TNA at this point was continuing the what the fuck storyline spirit of WCW. Her debut is June 5th, 2008. Like Tyler said, she's a plant in the audience. 
and they're looking for volunteers to wrestle Awesome Kong for the belt and $25,000. Uh, they pick Daphne, and Kong just smashes her. But Daphne is doing a great job selling, and man, I love Awesome Kong. Quick thing, too, to note about this entire TNA run, Daphne's still taking spots with Shimmer, Chikara, several other promotions, and I think that's one of the cooler things about not working for WWE is that if creative has nothing for you, go do some indie spots, go sell some merch. That's exactly what Daphne would do, and, you know, she did an awesome job making Awesome Kong look like a million bucks, and Kong appreciated it a lot, so much, in fact, that when Kong would do bookings, she would request Daphne. If she was in the Mid-Atlantic area, she's like, I want to wrestle Daphne. And I remember Daphne was the main event of a show. And she might Daphne might have been doing Shark Girl at that time. It might have been Shark Girl versus Awesome Kong in the main event. And I remember Daphne being like, Oof, in the main event. Oh my gosh. Oof. Like all getting herself all pumped up. She's like, Normally it's just been squash matches. Now I got to do a main event with Awesome Kong. Like, hope I can deliver. Like, all of, like the nervous thing like this. Like, Daphne, you're fine. Like, you like this doesn't have to be Steamboat Savage. Like, this is Orangeburg, <laughs> South Carolina. It's gonna be fine. You're talented enough to make this work. It's gonna be okay. And we do a lot of shows like that. And yeah, anytime Kong was ever like booked, she would always try and request Daphne as much as possible. And then I was stupid for probably Daphne's like, "Hey Kong, I see you're on the show. Like, if you need somebody to wrestle, because <laughs> just you know, don't don't give Daphne an opportunity. If you let her get a pinky toe in, she's gonna she's gonna work her way through the door." Lancaster and Orangeburg are some deep Carolina pools. That's like some B side <laughs> Carolina towns. <laughs> Fucking B side, son. I don't even know if they have an album for that. <laughs> Speaking of backwoods, North Carolina, September 20th, 2008, I got to go to my first independent wrestling show. Uh. It was a PWS show at Hunters Creek Middle School in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Jake, do you remember the show? Yes, I, re- I remember you being an awkwardly uh, chubby uh, young There's man. no way in hell you Feeling remember like, me. There's no way. I mean, you wearing that stupid El Generico mask. And <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it not fitting. Yeah, you. that was... Uh, so this event, I got to meet Daphne. I did not know who she was at this time. I don't think I saw her debut on TNA. But I was like, oh, this is a, you know, a famous wrestler. I'm going to pay 20 bucks to get in the ring. You get to get in the ring, take a picture with him. They give you like a printed out photo by the end of the night. And uh, I go in, I take the picture. I'm nervous, A, because I'm in a wrestling ring and I'm an awkward person. B, it's a pretty woman. And I get in there and take the picture. Very nice. I get out of the ring. I sit down. My dad goes, hey, you know, when you got in the ring, your ass crack was out. I was like, all right, thanks, Dad. (laughs) Fantastic. Great to hear. So uh, Jake, uh, Daphne wrestled Lexi Fife this night. So interesting that she, that was her, um, was that the one PWG? Shimmer. So that was her first Shimmer match. And she's also doing it here at the PWS show. Jake. Oh, this is the one with Ric Flair. Yes, it was a Ric Flair show. Yeah. Uh, yes. The El Generico one was 2011, yes. I think. But yeah. Yes, that was a later yeah. one. Yes, yes, yes. It was a very small venue for Rick to have Ric Flair there. But yes, Daphne Russell on that show. We got Lexi Fife. And it was it was kind of like a situation like, we're going to give him a wrestling show as like a giveaway, but you're going to meet Ric Flair early. Like basically, we're going to have the meet and greet with Ric Flair at some determined location. Then he's going to come out, address the crowd, and then he's going to fucking leave. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have a. A fucking wrestling show. 
that was pretty much the the concepts of all all of those and because we had Daphne it's like you know Daphne got to wrestle on the show sometimes she would end up being special guest referee Daphne being smart like there has to be a, you know an opportunity for a woman to be on the show this is 2009 2008 there wasn't the talent pool that was out as far as like female wrestlers so like Daphne's like any way I possibly can be on the show just l- let me know and she always she always carried her special guest referee outfit was a little skirt with stripes she always found a way to like hey if you don't have a few wrestlers on the show then let me referee so i think there's like a couple shows that were like you know she really wanted she was really gung-ho about being on and like they just didn't want to didn't want to book another female wrestler or didn't know another female wrestler and whatever reason they would but she's like okay well i'll ref two matches not like a special guest referee like no i'll be one of the referees <laughs> like she would do just about anything to be involved and included. And she always made sure she had that. And I think a couple of those shows we did, she was like a special guest referee. And also too, like, you know, she was trying to get in with TNA. She didn't want to get hurt on an indie show, but she wanted to do something on the show to help sell some pictures later. So she was smart, very, very astute to all of those things. And sometimes we would have those conversations. Yeah, I'm doing this because I think this, this, this helps with the merch table. Like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Like we had we had a lot of in-depth conversations on, you know, what we should be doing for merch, what should we be doing for gear, what do you do for character? Like these were all conversations we had a lot going to shows and especially with shows like this and you know what? A lot of those shows she'd help us take down the ring. And any especially a female wrestler, if you help me take down a ring, I will I will murder somebody for you at any moment in time. It's just ready to fucking help out, ready to do it, ready to make sure I stay awake on the drive. Like Daphne was always great at making me stay awake on the drive. She, uh, I, I still have this nervous, I don't know if it's a nervous twitch, but like a, a thing where every time I see a one, a car with one headlight, I was at the pal on the roof. It's something I've done since I started wrestling to kind of keep me awake and keep me aware. And I would just always do that. And, I was telling Daphne that, and she's like, oh, a padiddle. I know what you're talking about. She's like, it's a padiddle, and she would do it with me and keep me awake. And then she always knew when I was getting tired, I'd always slap my shoulder, or I'd be like, punch in the air or something like that. And she's like, oh, Jake's tired. I got to talk. I got to talk. And she would talk and just keep me up, like, all night. Like I needed to because I kind of just refused to let anybody drive because I can't tell you how many times when I turned it over to Caleb and he would... <laughs> He would forget to take the exit off 95 and then just keep driving on 95 and we're in Fayetteville <laughs> when we should be in Charlotte. <laughs> or we're in Bristol when we should have been an hour and 15 away from Charlotte. <laughs> I can't tell how many times that's happened, so I always kind of refuse to give the wheel to anybody else. But Daphne would always be the one to keep me up. And, you know, what I know about bipolar people is, you know, they're kind of getting a manic state. You know, sometimes, like, she would be very hyper and... At 3 a.m., which on a road trip, great, you're keeping me up. <laughs> but I could see how that could be a problem, and maybe that's a problem she dealt with. But her problem was actually a thing that probably saved all of her life. <laughs> a couple of nights that when we were driving, when we had to be someplace, man, we had very little time to get there. I mean, she was she was great that way. And there was a convention probably about this time that we went to and it was in New York. And this was also kind of like before hotels.com. We would just kind of just get someplace and get a hotel. 
and sometimes we'd stop, but sometimes we wouldn't. It just made more sense to just keep driving, get to the town, and figure out the hotel situation during the day, and then get the hotel. But if we drive through the night and get to the convention early, set up, and just work all day. So driving through the night, work all day, get one hotel that night, do the convention the next day, it gets over at four, and then drive all the way back, you're only paying for one hotel room night, which is excruciating. I mean, me just saying it probably makes you want to vomit, but fucking Daphne was fucking cool like that. And she wasn't above sharing a hotel room with five other wrestlers. Her and Mason would get the bed. Me and Charlie would split another bed. So we would, what we'd do is we'd get a room, and it would be Mason and Daphne in one bed and me and Charlie in the other, other, other bed. And I'd stay in the bed with Charlie because also, too, like he would snore, so I would nudge him just so I could get in and, and fall asleep real fast. So if he ever snored and I was awake, I could I was within arm's reach of him. But then if we had Mike Lee going, I'd give Mike Lee the bed. And then like Charlie would also take the floor and then I was in arm's reach of him. And then there's a couple of times I slept out in the high spots truck because I couldn't take the snoring. So like, yeah, we sometimes we'd have five wrestlers in one hotel room. She was never, never balked at any of it. And we had one of those where we had a convention where we were going to, go up to New York and we were all packed and ready to go at 10. And I was kind of saying like, Hey, well we can stop somewhere halfway and get there. We don't got a problem. But Michael was insistent that we had to wait for Tyshawn to get back from Orangeburg, South Carolina. Cause he just got these brand new signs with this brand new logo on it. And he goes, I want these signs displayed in my, at my merch booth all weekend long while you make me fucking money. While I sit at home and you're fucking driving. And so we waited, we waited, and Sean left late. And he was saying, hey, this van's really driving like shit. I don't know why. He Because I kept calling him, like, where are you at? And he goes, ah, this van's driving like shit. And then he pulls up to high spots fucking four hours late at, like, probably, like, four, four o'clock in the afternoon. He goes, ah, this van's driving horribly. And it was, like, fucking driving on the rails. Ugh. I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. You had a flat tire and you drove it from Orangeburg, South Carolina. Like, you probably fucked up the rim. And I'm like, we gotta leave right now. But then I gotta get this thing fixed. All these fucking auto repair shops and tire shops are closing. So I had to, like, hurry up, get the spare on, just to drive it to go get this fucking tire fixed, get it switched back on. We didn't leave till, like, 7. Mm. Convention, we have to be there at, like, 7 a.m. Setting up. It's a fucking 12-hour drive. So I'm driving all the way through the night. We're definitely not stopping halfway. And we get there. Luckily, it's at a tennis club. So what we do, and what I tell everybody, and Daphne's got to meet the public. We don't even have time to go to a hotel. Like, God fucking bless her. And her just being so fucking cool. I was like, Daphne, we don't have time to find a hotel. Or, and I know you got to get ready for your parents uh, and... I, I don't know if you can use the showers here or what, because it's like a tennis club. We're getting the locker room. And like, we kind of sweet talked somebody at the front desk, got her in a locker room. She was able to take a shower, get cleaned up and be presentable for her appearance. But we drove all the way through the fucking night. She got dressed in a fucking tennis club locker room and then meet and greeted the fans all fucking day at a convention that was just a fucking nightmare. I eventually peeled off and got us a hotel room. Once again, there's four of us. We're sharing one room. And then it was kind of a long weekend. I'm like, all right, well, we'll drive a little bit and we'll just, we'll get a room. And we've been splitting rooms all weekend long. Let's get two rooms. And we spent the night. And then 
we did that and then got up the next day and we drove two hours and then the, the tire on the trailer got a flat on it <laughs> and there were no tire shops open because it was a holiday. <laughs> so like I, I said, fuck it. I took one of the tires off because there were four tires on the trailer and it was empty because it was after a convention. I said, fuck it and just threw it in the back and drove all the way from Pennsylvania back to Charlotte on three tires of a trailer. And I was like, I'm so over this trip. But I'll tell you what, Daffy never fucking complained once. And when I was about ready to fucking explode about something, about something not going right, she was always like the person to calm me down. She was she was basically the Black Widow to my Hulk <laughs> sometimes at these conventions. But like we kept talking about those fucking signs that we had to wait for that put us on a bad foot. And there's a legendary photo that me and Daphne would reference all the time on Facebook. And it has that sign and like Charlie's like leaning on it, smiling. And I'm like, I'm like smiling very fucking sarcastically. And Daphne's like pointing at it and like a big, big old smile. that's fake as fuck. And like we took that picture and the caption, it was always fuck this sign. Like, <laughs> like we always talked about that photo that weekend and yeah, like. I can't think of, I mean, forget like male, female, like, I don't, I don't know of many wrestlers that would put up with all that bullshit that we went through just in that one weekend and then be the sounding board and the person to keep me from losing my fucking mind. That's how special she is to me. She talked me off so many fucking ledges during that time. And like her going to TNA was kind of like the end of that. She was riding around with us, like tearing up the roads, man. Like she was... She was she was out there with all of us trying to chase this dream down and she was she kinda got it. You know, like you're trying to get on TV and and she was the one that did that out of all of us. And we were you know, it's like, you know, good for her and like none of us were like, Well, I mean, she's there because, you know, she's already been on TV. Like we didn't say that because we knew how hard she worked. And she went to training every Tuesday with George. Like she was doing tackle, drop down, leapfrog, hip toss, reverse every Tuesday. And she was, she was working out. She was dieting. She was doing everything you needed to. She was, she was emailing, phone calling, doing whatever you could, getting her booking straight. And like her getting to TNA, that was like the culmination of all of that hard work. And that's why, like I said, like if I'm not emailing a promoter once a week, I feel like I'm being lazy and I'm not doing the proper work because that's the work that Daphne put in. She was a hustler, man. And yeah, that, that was all during this exact time period. And her going to TNA was the end of that. In December of 08, Daphne would be back in TNA for a little character acting, going full-blown SNL and playing Sarah Palin. <laughs> She'd have the beautiful people convinced that she was actually the Moose Queen herself. She'd get them to do a bunch of dumb shit, and obviously it's all very silly. There's a bunch of vignettes online. Check it out. It's fun. Yeah, the whole story was that the beautiful people are so stupid, they think this yeah, is actually yeah. Sarah Palin. And that's the other thing, too, is like, well, like, so many, because f- everybody liked to shit on TNA. The thing was, well, we already know she, that she, like, debuted against Awesome <laughs> Kong, so, like, why are they bringing her out? Like, that's the point. 
is that beautiful people are mean girls, but they're stupid yeah. mean girls, and they could be easily manipulated into thinking this is Ashley Sarah Palin because they are so self-centered that they're not taking in consideration like, well, maybe somebody's trying to play a trick on us. Nobody's playing a trick on us because we're the most beautiful people. Like that's that's the whole point of it. And you know, Daphne just leaned in real hard, and I, I think they just asked like. Could you do like a Sarah Palin? And she go and she just started doing <laughs> that voice, <laughs> and because she's and she's like, yes, oh, I can. And they're like, all right, you're hired. And she's like, great. And once again, another thing that could have just been a one-off thing, and you see people do it. Like I, a good friend of mine, played Obama on Raw. Lexi Fife played Hillary Rodham Clinton, and they used her that one time, and that was about uh, that one time since then, and that's it. You know, like they just used her for a particular spot and that was it done. It's over. Like we, we just needed you for that and we're done. But it unfucked up. He let Daphne get her pinky toe in. Now she's got a big toe in. Y'all are fucked. And she's going to be here every week now. January of 09 is exposed that this Sarah Palin was indeed fake. That led to an eventual beatdown by the beautiful people. A feud started in Daphne's first ever TNA pay-per-view experience at 2009's Destination X, where the governor teamed up with Roxy and Taylor Wilde to beat the beautiful people. On March 19th, 09's Impact, the governor would beat Madison Rain with a sneaky little roll-up cradle, triggering the beautiful people to storm into the ring, attack Daphne, and cut her hair. With her hair cut, we'd see a resurrection of Daphne Classic. She'd eventually get in a little stable with her therapist, Stevie Richards, and Abyss, and she'd also turn heel by attacking her old friend, Taylor Wilde, for not having her back during the haircutting. Daphne would wrestle at 2009's Lockdown in a Queen of the Cage match against Madison Rain, ODB, and Sojo Bolt, who's probably not even good. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know, she's probably not even that good. I'm not making it weird. You are. No. We ended on amicable terms because you don't have to shit on my ex-girlfriend to try and get over with me. Like we, It's fine. She was a good wrestler and very yes, underappreciated. She was, she was so, there. If a man who had his heart broken by this woman can say that, then you as a wrestling community should recognize the greatness of Sojo And Bowl. this match is really good. And to TNA's credit, they are showcasing women's wrestling. Like, they're doing big moves. They're doing big spots. This feels like a 2016 takeover match. ODB gets the win by spitting the contents of a flask into Sojo's face, then hitting her with a Davy Boy Smith-style power slam and getting the win. With this time in TNA, so much, it's it's weird because so much of the writing could really falter, and then that leads up to the 2010 yes, clusterfuck yeah. square ring, yeah. But the talent always seemed to shine through, yes. like in spite of all the shit stuff that was going on with the writing and everything, you still had AJ Styles doing things, you yeah. had the Motor City Machine Guns, Daphne, ODB, uh, all these very talented people throughout the roster trying to make the best. Oh, if the match is in a vacuum, like when I had, how did this get booked? It'd make me fucking laugh when people were like, you should shit on this TNA pay-per-view. And I'd watch it. I'm like, well, keep in mind, I have no idea what the storylines are. I have no idea where they're going with any of these characters. Some of these characters are weird. But when the bell rings, these are fucking great matches. So I'm just like, so I would always like tell my viewers, I'm like, thanks for making me watch this awesome (laughs) pay-per-view. And there was 30 seconds that there was this weird character thing 
and that happened, and you're like, oh, this is the worst thing to ever happen with wrestling. And I go, oh, you mean that one thirty seconds on a show in, in the midst of fantastic, unbelievable fucking wrestling that even holds up yeah. 10 years later? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. I will enjoy the show. So that was kind of like what it was towards the end of how this it's it's coming it's gonna get bad <laughs> but at this point uh yeah man i mean some of the best wrestlers on planet earth are working in tna at this time then at 2009 sacrifice you got a 141 two-thirds chance of daphne facing taylor wilde in the first ever women's monster ball match shorter match but again legit ass weapon spots before taylor hits daph with an attitude adjustment onto a trash can for the win and after the match, we get a split in her faction. They attack uh, Taylor Wilde. Abyss, who is there threatening to choke slam Wilde onto some tacks, gets tucked out of it by Lauren, who he apparently has some fills for. Stevie pushes Lauren down, so Abyss throws Stevie on the tacks, split in their stable apart. Then TNA Raven, looking like an emo girl that spring-breaked in Jamaica and came back with dreads, would join forces with Stevie and Daphne against Abyss, who is now looking out for Taylor. This takes us to 2009 Slammiversary. Daphne and Raven faced Abyss and Taylor Wilde. Towards the end, Daphne takes a big bump onto thumbtacks, and I'm sure someone in, like, Japan had been doing this for 30 years, but can you think of another woman thumbtack spot? On American national television. Gosh, I can't. I don't think you see... See, thumbtacks, I think thumbtacks always, to me, they felt like a Puerto Rico uh, thing for whatever reason, because Abyss, Abyss was the guy that, you know, and Abyss doesn't get the credit for it. He always felt like a, the guy that brought thumbtacks kind of to mm. the forefront they, they might they might have been a bit popular in japan i don't i don't think of them so much in japan i think of them a lot maybe in like wing or something like that which i think there is a lot of puerto rican influence in there too um, mick foley and randy orton had a spot in their feud with some but like oh uh, yeah, yeah may, maybe alita or something like that with edge but well, you, you might was, be right on that, that one but, you might be right on that one when he feuded but with but i yeah, like I don't know where exactly that time frame is with this. So there, there could have been the Edge McFoley one would have like been 05, but even then, that's a one-off yeah. spot. Alita might have taken a spot through a flaming table, but I don't know about thumbtack. Thumbtacks is such a hardcore yeah, spot, man. That's like, that 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 yeah. freaks me out. Like just mentally getting punctured a million. I know they're like this big, but like <laughs> they're much more dangerous yeah. than what you think. And like I said, I I, I yeah, I'm gonna say like you know McFoley definitely used them, but. I feel like Abyss really kind of popularized them, and he was a master yeah, absolutely. at them. I remember like the old Hermes Sadler shows, he would put them on a table, and he would spread them out, and then when he would put the guy through the table with mm. the thumbtacks, yeah. they would shoot up once the table broke, so there was this like cloud that made it look much more impressive, but what you were really doing was distributing them so that when the guy took the bump, he was taking him on less yeah. thumbtacks. The thumbtacks would just push to the side and use the prop. So that's the other thing about those death ma guys that do death matches and hardcore matches. They have their little tricks to make it look more impressive without it really hurting. But as far as like thumbtacks go, once they're in the ring and you start moving around and putting your uh. hand down, it's it's like uh, it's you'll feel a burning sensation and then you get like a cut down your forearm and you put your hand down and you're stuck with it. And being a referee in the mix of all that, like I was doing commentary and one of the stories I, I hung on to 
with a match like that that had thumbtacks was talking about how one of the opponents was kicking out because the referee was tentative on his cuts because there was thumbtacks <laughs> everywhere and he was paying more attention. And that's why this guy keeps getting two counts instead of three counts. If we didn't have thumbtacks involved, <laughs> the contest would have been over sooner. So it's kind of a de- this thing that hurt this guy is also the detriment yeah. to him getting a win. But yeah, and for Daphne to just kind of be balls out and up for anything, that's just typical Daphne. That's just like, that's the Daphne I know. Like when she started doing more stuff like this, like it never. I was like, oh, well, this is this is the logical thing, like, for her. Like, but because the thing is, is, like, also, too, she, this is what she wanted. She wanted to be included. She wanted to do what everybody else was doing. And I think it was a little bit of, like, oh, I'd rather do this than than a broad panties yeah. thing or, or, like, valet for somebody. She would have rather done this than valet for somebody for a month on TV. I always thought a good man scout spot would be you to pull out the thumbtack bag from under the ring and tease the thumbtack spot. But when you when you dump it out, it's just a bunch of s'mores ingredients. Guaranteed, you sick fuck chant. Guaranteed. <laughs> okay, I will take that in consideration. I did use some s'mores on mm. something. I did use it for a scramble match. I definitely have used s'mores, but not as enough as I should. I'm just so worried about using marshmallows. Mm. Yeah, because that could... Yeah, I'll fuck up a canvas, and that's the last thing I fucking want to do. But at the same time, too, like, if I know it's, like, a wrestling revolver and they're going to do, like, a fucking thumbtack smash later on, yeah. who gives a fuck? To follow up this thumbtack spot, the next Thursday on Impact, Daft does a 10,000 tax match, which she lost Taylor Wilde fucking alley ooped her into these tacks. Like, she, Daphne had no choice. She threw her straight up and just, bam! Such a, it was just a brutal, oh, God, I just can't imagine. Ugh. And then August 27th, 2009, Hamada made her TNA debut and would wrestle Daphne in a no DQ match. Uh, what did you guys think about this match? It was really solid. Like, the it, the match was paced very well. Yeah. Like, it wasn't that long of a match. Uh, on, like, I think it was on impact. Uh, but uh, Daphne's really solidifying her spot as one of the pillars of the TNA women's division. And anytime you have an experienced Japanese woman in a match, I'm all for it. Yeah. And, and Daffy's carving her spot out in the knockout division. She's the, she's the hardcore goth girl. Like she's like all the knockouts have their own personality. And Daphne's got that corner. Like she's undefeated in that, that aspect. Like you have the blonde, you have the redhead, you have the brunette, you have, the high flyer, you have Gail Kim, you know, everybody's got their, their things and they got and identifying characteristics. And Daphne is like the goth emo girl who does the hardcore yeah. stuff, zombie hot, what mm-hmm. Taz screamed like the whole time. And, you know, as you see the beautiful people, if they're not your cup of tea, then, you know, Daphne is your cup of tea or vice versa, however it goes. But this particular match, when it, it came up in your research and, and Nick asked me about this. So this brought back memories because, like I said, you know, me and Daphne, we, we rode the roads together. And now because she's in TNA, I see her last. Uh, I, I might see her stop in the office and say, how, how was TNA this week? How were the tapings? Uh, you know, still saying hi, still being very much in contact with her. She's very much still part of my life. She's, you know, still around Mason. And I remember this match coming on and I was... I think at that time I was converting over some wrestling footage from some VHS tapes and Grand Hamato just have to be somebody I 
had like started to like watch a lot more. I'm like, oh, man, that's great. And then I kind of was feeling like, man, I feel like this guy was really like a pioneer and that he was taking a lot of the luchadors and, and taking some of that stuff to Japan. And I knew he had a daughter and then like, and she wrestled. And then all of a sudden here's Daphne is wrestling grand Hamada. I'm like, Holy shit. I, I, te- I remember texting Daphne like, you got, you got to wrestle Hamada. Like, you understand? Like, I said this, you know, that, yada, yada, yada. And I was like fanboying out that she got to wrestle. She goes, yeah, it was a great match. Because I think it was taped. So, like, it wasn't live. But I was watching it as it was being broadcast. And I was just going back and forth. And I was just kept telling her, like, ah, I'm so proud that you got to do this. And this match is awesome. It's great. I was, like, texting her back and telling her how great of a job she did. How proud I was of her. And how awesome it was and that she was getting to wrestle Amada. Because, like, I knew her lineage and where she came from. And how cool this was. And, Yeah. There'd always be little moments like that with Daphne, or I'd just be like, oh, you get to do this, or I saw this, or oh, you look great in this, and, you know, as a thing that happens when one of your friends becomes famous or goes on TV, you know, it's comics, we've seen it, we know those people, and, you know, we were all doing open mics together, and now you're the one doing the Netflix special, and I'm watching it and telling you how, how great it is, and... Like, there's not that feeling of, why oh, should be doing it? It's more of a situation like, man, you get to do this really cool thing. That's awesome. Like, it's a genuine friendship and admiration for somebody you know who earned it. That's what makes it more special. And it almost feels like your stuff means a little bit more, you know? Because you know it, it was worth something because this person was right there and it paid off for them. It just didn't pay off for you. And you just got to deal with that and get over whatever that is. but. It wasn't for nothing because it meant something to this person's career. So it it had value. It had value to this person to getting you this spot. It just where the value is for you hasn't been assigned yet. Then we get to a point where things will slowly start going downhill for Daphne. First thing at 2009's Bound for Glory, October 18th, Daphne did a run-in during the Monsters Ball match between Abyss and McFoley. And again, Daphne's pushing the envelope here. She gets chokeslammed off the ring apron through a barbed wire board. And this spot is, like, inherently dangerous. But, you know, Abyss didn't, like, put some stank on it or anything. It's like she just kind of fell off. But she did get a legit concussion. And it is a big moment in her life as it relates to uh, CTE and the shortening of her career. So she gets the concussion in October and then she's either out or just managing or doing segments or whatever until February 18th. She comes back and she's all up in the TNA knockout championship scene. This is where she starts like hitting people with the toolbox. And then we get to 2010, which was not just bad for Daphne, but kind of bad for everyone. At this point, as we mentioned, TNA had fucking AJ Styles, Chris Daniels, Samoa Joe. And as we've covered, The women's division is deep and talented, and they're getting showcased. And TNA legitimately could have all the credit for the women's revolution that WWE, like, pretends to care about or whatever. They were doing it. They were fucking doing it. And then TNA was like, hey, what if we make our entire show about a bunch of dudes that should have retired eight years ago? Uh, This is Dixie Carter, Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan, a bunch of WCW guys taking 100% of the spotlight. 
So the women's division went from this blossoming cool thing to here's your two and a half minutes. If you go over and make us cut any time out of this 13 minute Hulk Hogan promo, we'll kill your goddamn family. (laughs) Well, and also too, like to be as fair as possible, like, that is the emotion. Yes, I will. I will. I will honor that emotion. But also, it's a situation too. If you're TNA and you start working with Hulk Hogan, you're like, but about as much as possible. It's not just like Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff come in and like, well, we're doing this. You gotta keep in mind, it's also people in TNA like we got Hulk Hogan, put him out as much as possible. Dixie Carter. And yeah, and uh, exactly, and they're like, put the put out as much as possible. And it also is a situation of too, like, I don't know how motivated Hulk and Bischoff are to do anything so it's like oh what am i really doing here you're putting somebody out there that isn't that motivated to be out there and they just kind of want to be there show up and do their thing but you as a company are trying to get your money out of the deal you have but you have people that just kind of want to do their own thing and people are like well they came in and ruined everything and made it all about them well i think it's more of a situation as tna wanted to make it more about them because they had them and it sucked because yeah. Their heart wasn't it. They don't. I mean, like, what? What if, like, all of a sudden, somebody ten, like, five, eight years from now, somebody's like, "We're gonna sign Tom Brady," <laughs> and Tom Brady's like, "I don't know," and the Jets are like, "We'll give you all the money in the world." Uh, I mean, okay, like, and I come in, and they're like, "All right, Tom, we're gonna give you, we're gonna let you, you know, come up with the offense and do what you want to do with it." Okay, like, and everyone's like, make sure we put more stuff in there for Tom. Make sure we give Tom, give Tom an opportunity to get 400 yards. Uh, okay, like, I, I feel like it is, it is a lot of that, and I think it's like not people being on the, on the same page and being realistic as opposed to we're gonna fucking ruin this company. I think it's every time in wrestling when people think something nefarious is going on, nine times out of ten, it's yeah. just stupidity. Mm-hmm. It, it really is, and. That's I feel, and you're absolutely right to feel that, that way about like they fucking ruined it. They ruined yeah. it because they're mm-hmm. stupid and they're not nefarious. That's why they fucking ruined. It. They didn't know why this TNA engine yeah. was running. Yeah, and they're like, well, if we put a Hulk Hogan in here, this thing's gonna run so fast. Like if we just dump NOS in the gas tank, it's gonna fucking go fast. I don't understand. I, I'll admit I was part of the problem. This is mostly when I watch TNA. And mm-hmm. this is uh, pre-N-Word. So I saw Hulk Hogan and I was like, you know, I'll check it out. It was just bad the whole time. Because yeah. as Tyler mentioned, the writing sucked, but the in-ring action was fucking amazing. And they took away all the in-ring spots yep. from all their good wrestlers and only did the writing parts. Did you just come back in 2010 when Hulk Hogan came back to, to for the reignition of the Monday Night Wars, mm-hmm. or had you been watching before? That? I mean, I you know I saw the AJ Samoa, uh, okay. you know I, I saw like all the cool shit that would pop up, but I didn't watch like religiously mm-hmm. until then, and then gotcha. they they ran me out of town. So I started watching in 2003. TNA started ramping up as they got on to Spike. I was watching every bit of wrestling I could every week. Yeah. And at the time, that was this is right before I got into indie wrestling. That's SmackDown, Raw. I don't think ECW, I think ECW might have been started back around this time. So that's about two, four, five hours plus six, seven of Impact. Yeah. And this was the culmination of what they'd been doing for years because they. That's the thing that AEW has to deal with 
people are saying they're getting WWE rejects, and that's left over from TNA around this time. Like, as soon as somebody was released from WWE, regardless of their ability or just about anything about them, they would be scooped up by TNA and put towards the top of the card. And this is Kurt Angle, who is absolutely zapped out on Percocets. This is Booker T, who actually brought a lot to the table. It's the main event mafia that were chugging along uh, around that time. Kevin Nash was involved. Some of them are bringing something to the product, but they're doing it in spite of those guys that they should be building on, like AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, Motor City Machine Guns, guys that are putting on good wrestling but don't have the name power, and they're not doing anything to transfer it. And Hulk Hogan was that last huge diamond of, oh, fuck, it's an old WWE guy. And it just popped right on top. Yeah. So Daphne's opportunities were starting to get more and more limited. And then something much worse happens. And uh, I don't want to completely bury this uh, uh, worker. So uh, what I gathered is that Bubba Ray wanted to push one of his students, who at the time was wrestling as Rosie Lotta Love, a.k.a. Sage Beckett. He wanted to get her in TNA because, you know, that's good for the school. Uh, one of my girls is in TNA, yada, yada, yada. I mean, shit, they do it all the time in yeah. AEW. Yeah. There's how many nightmare factories, and a lot of them have worked out for the most part. A lot of them are used as extras. I mean, it's just it's yeah. just a thing you do. And like, there, there's a lot of people that came from bubble school that are, that are that are quite good. And you know, sometimes you it depends on the person how they handle the situation. Yeah, you know, mistakes happen. Mm-hmm. It most certainly. I mean, I can't tell you how many times Cedric yeah. dropped me on my fucking head. <laughs> like, and luckily I'm too too tough to fucking re- register the pain and I'm too angry uh, to let it slide. Like if, I, if, if I didn't have anger, I probably would have been paralyzed by now because I have to get up and lay my hands on Cedric and explain to him, you will never do that to me again. <laughs> but, but the point is this is a, a young wrestler getting put in a spot. Maybe they weren't quite ready for It's just a new getting a match and making mistakes, but those mistakes were really bad on uh, April 20th. At a TNA taping, Rosie and Daphne had several just miscommunications and botched spots. And the biggest being when Rosie, who at the time was billed at 300 pounds, did a full-blown, all-momentum Yokozuna bonsai drop on Daphne billed at 130. And Daphne was supposed to roll out of the way, but her shoulders were like in front of Rosie's feet. So it's just physically impossible. And that's why she went down full force. Daphne would end up hospitalized with a bruised sternum, severe stinger, a concussion again. And she said there was about 15 minutes where she couldn't fill her lower body. Like she thought she was paralyzed and just a, another bad bump in the road for Daphne. Jake, did you talk to her at all after this? I can't remember if this was the first one or the second one, but, but since we've talked about both of them, I can, I can wrap it all in the conversation now. Cause these were the injuries that kind of, ended it all yeah and i'm gonna try and be as careful as i possibly can and be as fair as i possibly can as you know like i it's just like i was fair about like the criticism of tna with hulk hogan like i could have just been like oh that's fine because that's what the internet says but i was i was fair there and i'm gonna try to be fair in this situation i do know and i think it was the first like concussion tna was doing a lot of stuff it was very cool, like backstage stuff. Like, you know, instead of just having a camera set up and following wrestlers around in the back, they're like, 
well, it's like a roving reporter type situation or a voyeur filming stuff in the back. And that's kind of how they film some of their backstage segments. So they always had something roaming around with the camera. Well, Daphne was being filmed after being concussed. And they were filming it and producing it as, a, as if it was a segment. Like, look how that's messed right. up Daphne got. And I remember like that being the thing that really was a sticking point to her and that company. Was like, here I am, fucking hurt, and you're seeing it as an opportunity to get footage, get content, whatever the fuck. Like, you have a cameraman, and that's that's always too. Like, you see documentaries about wrestlers, and they get hurt, and the guy's still filming them, and everybody's like, shut the camera off. I mean, I get that, but there has to be a line where you're like, all right, we filmed them, we got them hurt, give them their privacy. We shouldn't be filming. There get there gets to a point where you're like, I shouldn't be filming this, and. Usually somebody tells them to shut the camera off, but this company was like, no, keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. This is good. We're, we might use this for something down the, down the line. And this is TNA that could fuck and... up a wet dream. <laughs> it, that's the frustrating part. It's like, they're not even going to turn it into good art. Yeah. There's no way they possibly can. Well, well, one, I mean, once the it's determined what it is, you know, you're like, oh, okay, well, we're not using that footage at all. Where I think they ended up using it for whatever reason. Because she had got her hands on it. And she was showing me it. And I don't know if she ripped it off, like, a television show or, or, or what. I can't remember. But I definitely remember seeing it with her. And she just being like, I don't know where I am right now. I don't know where I am right now. I should be taken care of right now. But I have a company fucking filming me right now. Using this as an opportunity to advance something. And that was like something that really frustrated her, and that's what she felt that company didn't give a fuck about her. And that, and that's you know, were one of the things that realized like I need to take take legal action. I need to protect myself because this company is not protecting me. And she was really, really messed up. And I'd always like kind of like known like there there might have been something going on like years later when she told me she was bipolar i'm like oh well fuck why didn't you say something sooner it it puts all the context in the world to shit but there was times like what the fuck is wrong with being daphne well she's fucking just being daphne again she's being all fucking daphne or she's all fucking hyped up on on whatever reason or she's being manic or she's just being daphne like there was situations like that where if i'm like oh she's being like this and i could have been like Hey, are you okay? You need a second. And I could could have been there for her, you know, but once she told me and I was able to, but there was always that and her personality was always cheery. But when she was going through this, like it was like, like a clear haze, like it was just a struggle for her to be fun loving Daphne. And that's the other thing too, with these concussions, you throw mental illness yeah. on top of it. Oh, and to give you an idea of how bad it was, I don't know if this was after the first one or the second one, but she told me that like months after the concussion, she couldn't go into a grocery store because the lights were so bright and like the public's up the street. So she's like, I have to wear sunglasses like in the grocery store because it's so hard on, like it gives me, it hurts my brain so much this is this was several months after i think the last concussion because i think she was going through legal proceedings she was fucking broken she was really fucking banged up 
because I was visiting her, because what we would do a lot of times when we wrestle for Full Impact Pro, me and Caleb would go down and stay at her house to save money on a hotel. We would go do the shows, stay at Daphne's, and then we would do empty arena matches at Lexi Five, and then drive back home, and we'd make enough money, and staying at Daphne's house helped. And Daphne is a fucking saint, so she's like, stay at my house, save some money. But she was banged up at that time, and she was not the same person, and it was like... You could sense an anger to her at this company. Like she had her frustrations, but there was like a real anger to her about something that I had never seen her have anger. Cause she was always very fun loving, but there was like a anger there. And that was like where I started and was a difference. And the more we know about concussions now, and then what we know more now about mental mental health, I think we all kind of brushed a lot of it off. Like, a lot of us didn't know our mental health issues at the time. But we brushed it. We kind of were at that phase where we kind of, we we started to recognize, like, maybe we shouldn't brush off these concussions, but we didn't know. But, like, I really feel like that would have been the time if she need. we really should have helped her a lot more than what we did. Like, she needed, she needed help then, not yeah. years later. It's too far gone. And, you know, we all try to do what we can, but we didn't know. Like, concussions plus mental illness, that, that's something you got to be out in front of. I mean, that's that's how I treat my and attack my mental health is I try and stay in front of it. I try and get ahead of it. Try to not let it take me over because when it takes me over, it's that's that's when it's unattainable. And, this this was this was a time where it was it was starting to take over her life, and she she was fucking broken, man, and she felt mistreated and used by the company. So there's nothing left to do than file file a lawsuit. So despite these insane injuries, Daphne was back at it by mid May, but the damage was done. Um, she'd spend the next couple of months bumping around TNA and shimmer having her last TNA match on impact December 9th, 2010 teaming up with Sarita to lose to Angelina love and velvet sky by March, 2011 Daphne's contract wasn't renewed. And it looks like she had this like one off match in April in a PWF against Sammy Lane. But Daphne's in-ring career was done. She filed a workers' comp claim against TNA, and she said she chose that over a lawsuit because she wanted there to be a law change for wrestlers. Like, I'm a chef. I was a chef. I cut the tip of my thumb off one time. I got workers' comp. Just ABC. You got hurt at work. Here's some money. They also asked me to work as soon as I got back from the hospital because the restaurant industry is also a garbage industry. Anyways, so Daphne got life-altering injuries from her place of employment, and pro wrestling wasn't going to give her money for that. So she fought this fight just to try to get that changed, but I don't think that worked. Uh, They eventually settled out of court March 2013. Well, and to go back to your workers' comp thing with the restaurant industry. Yes, they, they rushed you back to work. But the thing is, when you were rushed back to work, you were not concerned about yeah. where your money was going to come from and how you were going to pay for this. And I think 
that's a fair thing to ask for wrestlers. I mean, I remember when I first got into it, somebody got hurt and they're like, well, really the best thing to do is just go to the hospital without insurance. And you're going to have to pay that off the rest of your life, but you're going to get care. So just figure out whatever financial agreement you can come with and just live with and know you're going to pay this hospital X amount of dollars for the rest of your fucking life. And there were people wrestling in the biggest stages in the world that were having that conversation and having those issues. That's a scary thing. But as far as getting things changed, um, I I think I can say a lot of this stuff. I don't think any of this stuff was said off book or anything like that. I, I think she did say this in an interview we, we filmed several years ago. She tried to get other people to join her her lawsuit. Because the more people that are added on to this, that means they can tell their story. That's more the, the easier to convict this. So she was trying to get more people to jump on this. And there was, uh, I think, Jesse Sorensen was one of the people she reached out to because he got hurt about the time that she had everything filed. So she was trying to get him to jump on. And... Call me a conspiracy theorist. I, I am a little bit, but I think they figured that out. And Jesse Sorensen, who was who's very much broken from one incidence in a match, and TNA offered him a production role. Like I know you you had that issue wrestling, but tell you what, you can work in production as a production assistant, and we'll pay you X amount of dollars, and we'll give you a job, and then when you're ready to wrestle, we'll put you back out there, buddy. And he kind of was like, okay, I'll do that. Because now he had a job and maybe they had the company health insurance. I don't know if they did. I don't know what TNA's benefits were or what company they're working for or how that all works out. And that might have been part of the deal. Like, we'll just give you insurance and that will take care of this pre-existing condition that we created. (laughs) Um, And then he kind of backed off on joining that lawsuit. And there were like a couple other people, but... I remember Michael, who went to law school, talking about it and was saying that he was very surprised that she didn't get as much traction as she did. And he said he was all, he would have almost been surprised if Vince just didn't like step up and tell TNA, like, you better fucking settle out of court with her and I'll write the check. Because if she had legal precedence, that just doesn't affect TNA. That would yeah. affect WWE. I mean, impact people, like, they're so job-scared because, like, the little money we make here, this is it. And there's not a AEW, there's not New Japan, there's not really cool indies that you can make your mark, there's not NWA, there's not podcasts, there's not streaming sites, there's not other revenue streams you make money on. It's just like, I work for TNA, and, like, if I raise a fuss and they don't use me in the next set of tapings, I'm fucked. Like a lot of guys live like that. So they were too scared to jump on this thing. But if she would have had precedence, now you're getting into WWE and people have some money. I'm like, yeah, I got enough money in the bank to fight this legal battle. And we got some legal precedence. Let's go cash in. It almost would have made sense for Vince to tell TNA, like, I will fucking pay whatever you need to pay. Make this go away. That was what was surmised, but I don't think yeah. that's what happened or what it. I think they TNA was starting to realize we need to settle this thing and get past it. And I remember one of the things that was part of the settlement, she gets all of her action figures. And so we had Daphne action figures for fucking (laughs) ever. Like Stevie Richards and Daphne two packs. And what we did with a lot of them is open them up and sold Daphne (laughs) figures loose. 
Because loose, loose figures were worth more than the two-pack. The two-pack just wasn't that interesting. But we could sell Daphne figures on eBay loose for $20. But a two-pack with the two of them, we couldn't sell for 10 bucks. We would just have loose uh, Daphne figures. Stevie. <laughs> yeah, I mean... All right, so as as someone I, that was, collected pro wrestling action figures uh, at the time, it was Jack-specific. Uh, they did a terrible job with most of the men's figures. Uh, like, just the scale was terrible. <laughs> their, their scale is way off. Yeah. Uh, but that Daphne figure came out really well, so I, I kind of get that. Okay. Well, and also, too, with those Stevie Richards figures, we just gave it to George South, and he would sell them as <laughs> Caleb Connolly figures. Oh, this is my Caleb Connolly figure. <laughs> just like Sergeant Craig Pittman was uh, our... Chucky Davison figure, <laughs> like oh, this is this is my my guy Chucky, but yeah, I remember when that happened. They they settled and they got it, and she she was taken care of, and she knew that doing this lawsuit, she would probably be blackballed. Probably. Maybe the end, yeah, a little bit. But I, I I think looking back now, like over the years, we've gotten past that, and she would have been free to go and work wherever, and she did yeah. do a lot of appearances here and there, and also she found right. out who her real friends were. In a situation like that, that's where you're going to find where all your friends are, and she knows exactly who they are. So she had that. So it seemed like after this, she kind of made her rounds on the convention circuit. She seemed to hang around the business still. She uh, she did a lot of uh, managing and some like you know backstage stuff, and she apparently had a huge role in helping found Shine Wrestling, where she worked until December 2015. Yep, her and Lexi. It was almost like a a Florida shimmer. You had a lot of these international girls coming over and then just doing the shimmer tapings mania weekend. And then these girls are like in America and they were trying to find more bookings for them. So they're like, well, if we do a shine coming into WrestleMania, they can do that. And then they can do WrestleMania week. And then they can do a shine just after that. You know, now we've, we got a little bit more mileage, a few more bookings for these girls and they can take some other bookings as well before they have to leave legally to get out of the state in time and make, make some money. Also, too, there were a lot of girls that were getting released from the performance center that they hired out of whatever search. They taught them just enough wrestling to put them on TV, and then they fired them. So, like, these girls were like, well, much like Daphne, were like, I still want to wrestle. And Shine was a place where you gave girls opportunities, and girls who are, like, on the undercard of Shimmer would have the opportunity to be a main event in Shine, much in the same way that, uh, FIP was for Ring of Honor, like a sister promotion to an extent. And those two, they would book them for Shine and they would do empty arena matches at Lexi Fife's house. So these girls would make some real money and, and work. And Daphne was always there and involved. And she was, you know, she was the face of that company and did everything she could and she spoke up for girls that she liked, spoke up for girls that she was like, hey, this girl's a problem. Keep her out of the locker room. I don't care. You know, she was really. She really curated it with Lexi Fife. You know, she was she was very much involved. In, uh, it was good for Daphne. You know, I'm glad she she got that to contribute. Then her health really started falling apart on her. On top of her mental illness, she started having uh, thyroid issues. She had major back surgery in 2017. She'd get really outspoken about concussion issues in pro wrestling. And I saw an interview where she said she wanted to go back to college and uh, eventually work with people with mental illness. And then we get to 2021 when things get super dark. This is 
easily going to be one of the most difficult things we've ever talked about on the show. Jesus. September 1st, 2021, and just a harrowing Instagram live feed, Daphne read a suicide note to the world. She said she wanted her brain to be studied for CTE. You see a glimpse of a gun. And in this, like, sick, twisted irony, Daphne's speaking about how alone she feels and how she has no one. And at the same time, her phone is just getting, like, hammered by by text and notifications. So much that her, her phone can't even stand for this video because it's just rattling so much. It keeps falling over. And I, I, I know there's differences in, in bipolar and depression and God knows what CTE was doing. I, I don't know. That's what this does to you. It, it like burrows its way into your brain and it makes you can't even like live in reality. Like there's these people screaming that they care about her and she just she couldn't see it. And I dealt with this myself. For almost 20 years. And. And when we were on a break. I started going to therapy. I got on depression medication. And it was really life changing for me. It's real sad that like Daphne didn't. Get that. I don't know if she was in therapy. I don't know if she was. You know on meds or. But I think aside from. Just ignoring mental health. Altogether. A really terrible thing society has done is make people going through this seem weak. But in, in reality, I don't think people understand how fucking strong you have to be to like wake up and deal with this every fucking day of your life. And Daphne just got tired of fighting. And eventually the stream ends. And the next report we get is that... Daphne had died from a gunshot wound to her chest, and she was 46. All right, let's just do final thoughts on Daphne. Uh, Daphne was somebody who didn't come into wrestling the normal way, but as somebody who really values people that love professional wrestling, she definitely fell in love with it and put her all into it. And I think that really showed in the quality of matches she was able to have in TNA and really become an integral part of their women's division and lucky to have seen her. She had this crazy, weird, cool career that was just all over the place. Um, I think her acting chops helped her with her promos and her character development. Her uh, in-ring work was always really good. I, like, I don't think research or just, you know, living through her career, I don't think I ever saw a bad Daphne match. She, she just seemed to get the industry from the most little dumb details to the, you know, matches. And, you know, she, she just got it. She seemed to have, a, like, a genuine love for wrestling and the wrestlers in it. From what I, when I heard her talking, she seemed like a proud mama over her Shine and Shimmer Girls. And I think she had the respect of both casuals and super nerd marks who, you know, break down every part of this. She had respect and love of her peers. And she was, she seemed like such a sweet person. 
I watched this clearly done on a VHS home taped interview from like 2002 where this dude uh, with a stutter, which, you know, you can't help that, but he's like clearly an overzealous wrestling fan. Like, you know what I mean? She did that interview for like 30 fucking minutes. I heard her talk to wrestling interview shows with dudes clearly just tickled to be talking to a woman. And she was always so patient and engaging and, and warm and funny. And I think wrestling tends to hurt people like her the most. But one thing I like about doing this podcast is since 95% of pro wrestling ever was written by a bunch of dumbass boomers, we get a lot of opportunities to talk about real important life things. Like, it's mostly racism. <laughs> but when I chose this episode, I knew we would get to talk about mental health in a way that we've never really got to. And... If your wrestling fandom led you to this crossroads of of mental health issues and pro wrestling, uh, I think there are people out there that can't afford to hear Daphne's story and not use it as, as fuel to help themselves. There are tons of online therapy options. It's what I use. What Daphne wanted to do with the back half of her life is help people with mental illness, and like she can still do that. And... I can say from experience, it's just nice to not feel like shit constantly. And I just, I wish Daphne could have got to that place too. So. Twenty twenty one was was clearly a rough year for me. Everybody who's our Patreon members know and listen to my ramblings for an hour and a half of ups and downs and everything that I went through and like quitting high spots and how big of a thing that was for me. And it was big to me to know who my friends were. And I found out who my friends were when I said that I was done and the people that reached out and realized that was a big step in my life. And Daphne was one of those people. Mere months away from being like so depressed that she would take her own life, she reached out to me and, and and asked if I was okay. And remember us talking a little bit and just you know, yeah, this is our you very small, you know, and it was it was comforting to know. Like and and I told her why I left, you know, which is I don't know if I've shared it quite as publicly. And she's like, I get it. I know exactly why you feel that way. And in a situation where I thought I was wrong or maybe I'm misreading it or what, I'm questioning what the fuck I just did, like throw away 16 years of my life. She's, she's like, no, you're, you just wanted to hear somebody say, you're right. Like, you feel like you're making the right decision. She, she gave me that and she would be the person to know that. And, when I was going through everything and I was doing my Man Scout Mondays and my streaming shows and filming stuff, I was like, you know what? I need to get an indie booking and go see Daphne. It's been way too long since I've seen Daphne. And maybe we can film a little bit and do what we did like on the first like like Man Scout videos. Like, and maybe I'll play these old Man Scout videos and we'll film them better this time. And we'll we'll have fun. We'll film a little bit for my Man Scout Mondays and, and we'll do that. And it's been far too long since I've seen her. And when I... Ended that conversation with her. I didn't. 
I didn't realize that was last time I was going to talk to her. I always felt like I had so much more time with her. And you know, I always you know, she she made her her struggles very well known and she had a lot of friends and that, that's something that I remember when she did pass that Allison Kay put very well is you know, when she died everybody was like, Oh, I can't we should spend more time with people that have mental illness. We need to spend more time with people with mental illness. And that was the case like we all did. We all tried. We all tried to let Daphne know that we love her. That's the problem. You know? Is that we all tried to tell her that we love her. In that video, we were all trying to get up with her. I... I was getting my opportunity with all elite wrestling and working the fan fest. And I was actually in Chicago. I think I was there like for the first couple of days of setup and I was very busy and I just kind of checked into social media and saw what was happening. And I just immediately texted, DM'd like I, I DM'd her cause she's like, it's like I didn't know if she was still streaming. I couldn't find the stream. I, I, because I, 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 I saw a clip of it online, and it like seeing my friend in so much pain just tore me apart, and. <sighs> And I know a lot of people were mad, like, anybody who's reposting this video of Daphne, you're a piece of shit, or whatever. But just before lockdown happened, I, I lost a friend. And nobody told me why he died. And when I asked about it, like, well, it's not important how he died, it's important to remember. I'm like, the bullshit. I wonder how my friend fucking died and why this fucking happened. My friend Clint Knorr, he fucking died and I still don't know why or how he fucking died. And it makes me fucking angry. Because he's my friend in the good times and the bad and I, I remember him, I love him and I miss him every day. And now I'm I'm seeing Daphne in the, this, this fucking moment and seeing how and why we fucking got here and it and it equally makes me as mad. But at least I fucking know. How much pain she was in. And I just It doesn't make it any better. It doesn't I I, I you know, like when my friend Clint died, I thought knowing would make it make it make it better and make it stop. And, and I got that with Daphne and it definitely didn't. It, it made it fucking worse. So I saw the whole thing, you know, when she had the blanket over herself. And, and it just tore me apart. And the only thing I kept thinking is the way that I feel right now, 
all I want is for her to hug me right now because her hugging me right now is the only thing that's going to make me feel better. Because that's what she did. She... When I was mad and I was upset, she fucking hugged me and didn't make me feel that way anymore. And she dealt with so much and she put that all aside to make me feel better every day that she was with me. She was my fucking friend because she was there for me in, in, in the worst times. And I saw her absolute worst time and I wish I could fucking be there like she was there for me. And I never got to feel this way that I feel right now. Because it was fucking working. And I just put it aside. I fucking buried how I feel right fucking now. And I knew... When we were going to do this episode. I was like, I fucking have to do this. Because I have to talk about my friend. And how much I loved her. And how much I miss her every day. And it's not a day that I... it goes by, or if I see a picture of her, I don't fucking laugh. And I, it, and just, I've never dealt with the emotions of all of this until like right now. I've fucking carried it around, and I knew I'd have to get to this. I knew I'd have to do this, and I'd have to do this right now. And I, I'm just trying to get through this and get to a nice, wonderful little button. In the end, so I can give my friend the best tribute they possibly can. I I I don't have the words for it. You know, and and sorry. I shouldn't have buried it for so long. I should have talked to somebody about it more. I sh- I I should have dealt with it more, but I didn't. But I'm glad I, I am now, and I I'm glad that I got to know her and she was a part of my life. And, and you know, as I go through my my struggles, too mentally. Uh, I carry around what happened to her in my heart as well. Recognizing mental health, you gotta get in front of it. You gotta, you gotta get ahead of it. Like I said earlier, like the time when it first happened, that would have been the time to jump on it. But we were all telling each other, we gotta be tough. We gotta be wrestlers. We gotta push forward. And we were ignoring. What concussions do to you, what mental health, and the importance of taking care of that. Push that all aside. So, so as I go through my struggles and my journey, it warms my heart to know that a friend of mine is going through his journey as well. Takes Daphne's story as an inspiration to keep him around. It makes me happy that the story inspires Nicholas to focus on his mental health and this Daphne inspires me to work on my mental health every day I use my app every day 
doesn't matter how busy I get. I get a message from my, my therapist. I make sure that I reply and give the most thoughtful answer I possibly can and make sure I do my sessions and I get ahead of it. I just miss her. I love you, Daph.